Welcome back to Rise Podcast, Life Stories of Accomplished Individuals. Guys, I'm going to jump into it right away, but before I do, I want to thank you guys again. As always, we're, we are scaling up. When I say we, I mean us, you, me, you know, us. We're, we're building this community. We are getting so much value from these guests, and if you can help me to keep this going by telling your friends, asking them to subscribe, and please like the video, comment, and let's get a conversation going. So today... We have Aaron Spivak with us. And at the age of 18, Aaron co-founded Revitasize, a chain of organic cold press juice kitchens. And within four years, he expanded to eight stores in Toronto. He went on to uh, be co-founder of sleep improvement company Hush, selling weighted blankets designed to aid in sleep, anxiety, insomnia, and ADHD. Aaron appeared on the Canadian hit TV show Dragon's Den and earned most epic pitch of the season and created a bidding war between all six dragons. And for the Americans who are watching this, Dragon's Den is actually the original, Dragon's Den is what Shark Tank was based on. So the Americans took Dragon's Den and they iterated on that concept and they created Shark Tank. So you understand the concept of the show. <clears throat> In a landmark deal for Canadian e-commerce, sorry, he went, sorry, I will, I'm not done talking about Hush. He went on to develop the Hush pillow, mattress, iced cooling sheets and more. In a landmark deal for Canadian e-commerce, a majority stake in Hush was acquired by Sleep Country at a valuation of $48 million, only four years after Aaron and his co-founders started with their modest $4,000 investment. Aaron has been featured in Forbes, the Financial Post, and many other publications. He is also a, me a member of the exclusive Forbes 30 under, th 30 under 30 list. Aaron is also a former Canadian junior hockey league player, fifth in all-time scoring in the OJHL, OUA, uh, OUA champion, uh, he's a public speaker, an investor, and a startup advisor. And I want to point out that Aaron is 29 years old. Aaron, how's it going, man? It's going well, man. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I can, I can see that <laughs> it's going well. It. <laughs> I, you know, I go through it. I've been, I've, you know, it's a challenge for me because I've been trying to make these intros shorter because mm -hmm. I go back and I listen myself to my yeah. episodes just to, like, to get, you know, to see what I'm doing wrong, where I can improve. And my, my intros are so lengthy and I'm thinking to myself, wow, like I got to shorten these things. But the caliber of my guests, I've been very fortunate to have <laughs> such amazing guests like yourself that it takes time. And what's interesting with you is that at the age of 29, it still took a lot of time <laughs> for me to create this bio. So good for oh, you. I appreciate it. You know, thank you. Just to give you a bit of a backstory. So you are one of five brothers. Yep. And the reason I know that, besides the fact that you recently told me, is that long before meeting you, I met your mom mm -hmm. at one of the Revitasize stores yep. where she was working. And she was, well, she was working. She was running with you. I'm not, you know. Yeah. And I remember I would, on my way to work, I, I lived up in Richmond Hill and on the location at, it was uh, Dufferin and Center. Yep. On the way, I would always stop and, you know, I would, I would speak with your mom. And your mom is Israeli. Yep. And as is my wife. So I would always chat with your mom and your mom kind of knew who my wife was because she had stopped in a few times too. Yeah. And, you know, she had told me that she, she had five boys. And when she told me I had five, she had five boys, I was, it was, I was blown away. Nobody believes it. Nobody believes it. Yeah. Nobody believes it. How, how is it? How, how was it growing up? Like, I mean, oh, well, sorry. I want, <laughs> I want to give you more context. Okay. I want to have more context to my question. Okay, okay, I'm okay. a big context guy. All right. So do, before you, I want you to answer, here's what I want you to tell me. I want you right. to tell me how it was growing up with five brothers, but more importantly, more importantly, I want to understand if growing up, because I would assume I can see my three boys and how competitive they are with each other. Did growing up in that hyper-competitive environment when you've got four other guys trying to like, you know, sit in your seat <laughs> and take your food, did do you think that, that contributed to your success? 
I think in a lot of ways, but one thing that's really important to note is, you know, my, my parents started the relationship. I mean, they're both born and raised in Israel and they had my three older brothers yeah. in Israel. So when they moved to Canada, they didn't have another kid for like another five years. And then I was the fourth and then my younger brother's the fifth. <clears throat> so the gap between me, the fourth yeah. and, the, and the second, like the first, first three yeah. is seven, eight and 10 years. Oh, wow. So, you know, for a lot of people, that seems like a lot. But for me, I always say I had the great advantage of watching my brothers go through stuff way in advance, learning from the good, the bad, the mistakes. But also it forced me to grow up way faster. So I remember I would start skating at three years old, which is very uncommon yeah. because I wanted to play with them. Right. They were already playing. You know, I wanted to play basketball because they were playing basketball when I was really young. So it forced me to age up so much sooner to the point where like my brothers would have a window cleaning business and like I would knock doors at 12 years old, but they were already like 19, 20 have this business because I just wanted to get involved. But Royal Rumbles definitely toughened <laughs> us, definitely toughened us up, you know, so I was always involved, but yeah, five boys in one house. We were a hockey family, mini sticks. Like I got body checked through a wall one time. So everything By your you would, older brothers, yeah, yeah, of course. Like you would just, <laughs> you know, like everything you would expect of a house of five boys. That's what we were. But at the same time, it was also intimidating for everyone else. Like I had five, I had four brothers, you know. So the sense of confidence you get, yeah, you know, as a ten-year-old when my brothers are seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, picking me up from school, yeah. Um, so it was everything. Like I've, I always say, I, I was the lucky one because I had a younger brother and I had three older, grown brothers yeah, who yeah. would like protect me and be there for me. Uh, which gave me confidence as a young kid, for sure. Sounds like you had a really, like you have a really close family. For sure, yeah. I and mean, my mom keeps us tight. Shabbat dinners okay. were always in the house. Yeah. So, so I, I want to ask something. It's a, it's a selfish question. So, as you know, I have three boys. You've, you've met them all. Yeah. Like I always remind them, you guys are, you know, you're, you're, you're best friends. You have to be best friends. You, you have to stay close. Like there's, there's a certain power and a strength by having each other that you know as you go through life. Because I'm not always going to be around, so you have to be close. Did your parents instill that in you that closeness they did but without like communicating it that way how did you, that my question is how i want to learn how to do it so my, my mom even like still today like we live you know all over there's grandkids now there's you know people are grown there's not so many you. not for, not for me no. but like my three older brothers all have two kids each they have wives like just the life is really busy but my mom is still really consistent no matter what throughout all the years, she'll host a Shabbat dinner, which is a Friday night yeah, yeah, dinner yeah. that like Jewish people do that we do. Yeah. And she's adamant on like, if you're available, you're there. And it's really something that's special because it uh, brings us all together. And now because like we're all a lot older and I see a lot of like other families that are older, it's really hard to bring yeah. people together. Like you might only see your whole family two or three times a year. When I met Hannah, like my girlfriend, and she realized how often my family's together. <laughs> She's like, is this normal? And I realized that like it might be normal for me, but yeah. my mom was always very adamant. And she knows like, you know, she's Moroccan. She knows good food brings the guys back yeah, to the yeah, table. Yeah. So she'll make an incredible dinner and we're all there eating. But yeah, that's how we've kind of stayed really, really close. Like we're at the table three, four hours. And my mom has been the conductor of all that. That's amazing. Yeah. And have you collaborated a lot with your brothers? I know that you're the co-founder at Hush. 
Mm-hmm. He's not your brother. He's a friend of yours. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. We, you know, work a revised size together. My two older brothers now, like, run it completely. Uh, my parents are both really heavily involved. My mom created, like, all of our famous recipes. She created out of our kitchen. Yeah. So they're really close to that. My younger brother has a cold tub business, and mm-hmm. I'm, like, involved in that. So my eldest brother just started a water company. Like, so we're all kind of in it. We're talking about it all the time, but... Uh, it's another thing that kind of keeps us together. I was going to say, I mean, you're, it's not common. Like I don't come across a lot of situations where you have, first of all, as many siblings and as not, not so much as many siblings, but as big of a family as you have. Yeah. And literally all of you are entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. Something in the, I mean, my mom, you know, my parents came to Canada like really with nothing. Yeah. You know, my mom still doesn't like read or write English mm-hmm. 29 years or whatever it is in the country. Sure. You know, so I remember in grade nine, I went to a new high school. They made me do a literacy like test, like write a paragraph. I wrote it two, two days later, the head of the English department pulled me aside and she's like, have you been in ESL ever? Which is like English as a second second. language. And I was like, well, I was born in Canada. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, well, what language do your parents speak? Hebrew. And I was like, well, they speak Hebrew. And she's like, oh, I can tell. Wow. Because I was... Sorry, mixing, but it was it like that? Like she was kind of antagonistic about it. She was, yeah. She was pretty wow. like in your face. She's like, "Well, you need like a lot of support." Um, you know, I always tell my friends like I always thought it was unfair because my friends would go home, they get an English assignment, their dads would rewrite it for them, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I would go home and like I remember learning the ABCs with my mom. Yeah, we were doing it at the same time. Sure. Like they were cheating on spelling tests with their parents. And my mom was like, we were both trying to figure out the test at the wow. same time. So, but that instilled, you know, that hustler, like she had to figure it out. And she, I, we watched her start so many different businesses. Some, you know, did really well, some failed. And it, it created an energy in us to like, we need to create, we wanted to create something. And like, you know, I remember doing a lemonade stand on the corner and my mom was like super, super hyped and she was excited about it. And I would tell her the sales and that was always our family's thing was like, how can we create more? How can we build more? I think for a lot of immigrants, and by the way, like we're immigrants too. I came to Canada yeah. at the age of three, 1976 from former, I mean, it was at the time it was Soviet Ukraine. Right. Right. So I'm very familiar with it. I, f- I feel that with immigrants, like your mom and dad, yeah, especially they came with, they came with three kids. That's tough. That's a, that's tough. Three kids under four. Three kids under four. That's tough. And mm-hmm. they came, you know, I'm guessing with not a lot of means. Nope. No, they didn't speak English. They show up. To, so it feels like a very similar story to mine. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I feel like there's this commonality among immigrants that they become entrepreneurs. I feel not necessarily because they want to, but because they have to, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have to, because they're not, like they're coming to a country where, they don't speak the language. They don't have the credentials. They don't have the network. They are forced to become entrepreneurs. But the very positive side of that story is that a disproportionately higher, this is, and I, I have no data behind this, right? but I feel like a disproportionately higher percentage of immigrants who came over in a difficult situations, in a difficult situation, when they become entrepreneurs by necessity, they have a much higher probability and likelihood of success. And they actually succeed far more Mm-hmm. you know, than people who have all the advantages and try businesses because they have this like killer instinct, like this no fail yeah. attitude. Well, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, you know, I remember so many times 
you know, when my mom was like either starting a business or even when we started the juice business, you know, we, we started that with one day worth of cash flow. And if you know anything about the restaurant business, I think less than six months is catastrophic. Right. Most people buy come in with two to three years of cash flow. That's a tough business. So you said the restaurant business. That, was, that yeah. wasn't the juice bar, though. Well, well it's a quick it service restaurant. But right. yeah, the juice bar, we had one day, which means if we didn't sell the fridge on opening day, wow. we didn't have cash flow to fund the next. We didn't have money to put in the cash register. So we didn't give people change on the first day. Mm. We're just like, hey, is that the tip? And like oh, it was wow. that, it was that's like tight when we started. And looking back now, you know, I was 18 at the time, but looking back, I would never have agreed to that, but we were ignorant. And I remember my mom would always say like, this is like, this is what it's about. She was just dead set on like that burn the boats mentality. There was no alternative. Right. The only alternative on opening day was selling out the fridge. That was the only option. There wasn't another option. But when you say selling out the fridge on opening day, just to kind of dive into that a little, you yeah. have a place that has no, like, it's just, it's just there one day, like it just opens up. So there's no, it's not as if there's like a, it's not a legacy brand. There's no brand. There's no kind of marketing. There's no, you know, how how do you sell out? Well, the interesting, so so I guess like a little bit before that, this is 2012, right? So 2012, you know, I'm playing, my brother's playing professional hockey. I'm playing hockey. My mom just completes a 70 day juice fast, 70. That's like wild. Like like not. I did a three day. Not three fast days, once. not five. Seventy. She lost. I might be in and around the wrong number. Between seventy and eighty pounds. Oh wow! Like her hair started. Like she just started glowing. Wow. And all her friends were like, you know, what's the hack? What did you do? And she's like, well, I juiced. And then everyone went and bought a juicer. They juiced for two days. Realized it's a headache. They, you know, the juicer ends up in a cupboard somewhere. And I did. Of, a, I actually, sorry, I actually did not. You reminded me. I did a juice cleanse with Revitasize. With with us. I did with your yeah. mom. Yeah. Now that I remember, but this was <laughs> this was probably ten years ago. Exactly. It was around ten, the same time. Exactly ten you, years you, ago. But you had the you had that Dufferin and Center location. So that was ago. must have been 2013, 14. Yeah, ten years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. And we do we stood at our house and people would come to my house, and my mom would juice like in the kitchen in like a mason jar, and they'd come every day and she would juice for them. They would you know do a fast. And eventually they started getting really good results and it started to grow to the point where, you know, <laughs> I remember at one point I had, you know, when you go into someone's home, they have like a little bench at the front door where you sit and take your shoes off. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do that at my house because I had a cash register there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you knock on the door. And at one point people were knocking on the doors and we would sell them juices from the, this is 2012, the healthiest thing after a hockey game, you know, if we had a good game, if I scored goals would be a subway. Yeah. You know, and like now we know how an unhealthy subway is, right? Sure. And so we started like getting really, really busy to the point where we're like, hey, we need to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, my bedroom had fruits and vegetables in it. I'd go at six in the morning to the food terminal in Toronto. I'd load up, you know, a car full of pineapples and stuff. And we would juice all day. And it, so eventually we wanted to open up the store. We've never opened up anything in our life. So we like, you know, I remember sitting there with my brother, with the landlord, at 19, he was laughing at us. He's like, why don't you guys open up an ice cream shop? Like, enough with this juice stuff. It's weird. No one wants Sorry, to rent I, us. I have a question. Sorry, I, yeah. I, 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 I got lost there a little bit. You're doing it. Your mom's doing this from home. You have the cash register in front of the house. How do, where, how did the, whose initiative was it? Who was running this transition into a brick and mortar store? So my one brother was still playing hockey, contemplating quitting, coming in. My other brother, near quit his job, move home, and kind of brought a level of seriousness to this and said, hey, like, we have an opportunity here. Because before that, it was just me and my mom like squeezing vegetables in the house, putting them into mason jars. 
Uh, and he kind of said, quit his job. And he said, like, we need to formalize this and take it really seriously. It was so, it was his, like, he had the vision for it to become. He definitely, yeah, he had the vision to, like, take it seriously. And, you know, my mom was just hustling, you know, she was, like, selling juice cleanses left, right, and center out of the fridge, you know, yeah. trying to, like, put some money together. And I would say, like, six months into doing it at home was when we said, okay, we got to get out of the house. Um, and then that's when we said, let's take this seriously and let's try to get it. Let's try to get a location. Okay. And where was that first location? Was that Dufferin and oh, Center? Was that the first one? And it was, I lived like two minutes away. Sure. So it was convenient for us. The problem with that is we've never opened up anything like that in our life. We had zero experience. We had no idea what it would cost. So we said, it's going to cost us a hundred grand. I don't know where that number came yeah. from. And I remember like we started building it out and we were a hundred grand in and like we still had nothing built and we had no money left it was pretty much done. Like we had this, you know, everyone was just panicking. We couldn't open the store. So hold on one second. I want to point something out because you're not, there, there's a part of the story that I think you're not telling it. It's not, you're not, you're, it's not like you're intentionally not telling it, but right. I want to add some more context to this. Yeah. This, I'm very familiar with the location, obviously, yeah. because I, I, I live not too far from there. And it's not as if like juice cleanses in general. And I feel like organic healthy food if I had to think of where in the city it would go, <laughs> yeah, that would probably be the last place. <laughs> this is like, you know, like this kind of, a lot uh, of like, you know, Israeli, Russian, Jewish, yeah. like, you know, eaten like shawarmas and falafels. And, you know, and so it's it's predominantly like this, you know, the ethnic community that both you and I, right. you know, belong to. And they're not, this isn't like, when I think of like the, you know, these juice cleanses, I'm thinking like Yorkville. I'm thinking like young professionals, young and bluer. That's, right. that's what I'm thinking. Well, when you have never done it before, like now you would, you know, take a statistical analysis. You would see like what type of shoppers for us. It was like, Hey, we want something close to the house. You know, (laughs) like there was no, there was no like prior experience, but it worked out. It worked out because, I mean, it worked out for a myriad of reasons, but you know, it worked out really because we had no choice. And one thing that most people actually don't know was four months before we were set to open, we not only ran out of money, but there was no like means to get an additional hundred grand. It was impossible. Like we, like we asked people, sure, I'll give you a couple grand. I'll give you a couple. Like there was no way, and the house wasn't churning enough revenue. It was like doing like five k, ten k a month. We were still going out of the house at the time. At the time, because we, we, our math was we can run out of the house, take the money, reinvest into this location, but we underestimated the cost of this location. So we ended up having a lease we couldn't pay. Yeah, a build we couldn't finish. Yeah. And really no way of actually getting this thing open. And the craziest thing happens. Meanwhile, my dad is like working overtime to fund like paying the bills of the house. Your dad because, was working at like yeah. he had a job. He had a job. Yeah. He was well, he like managed his own like food business where he would like sell like CPG products to stores. Mm-hmm. But he would also like deliver it. Yeah. So he had a truck with a whole bunch of products that he wow. would go out in all these grocery stores and restock them and it was a tough job. And I remember like three months before we opened, Mike, my, my brother gets a call. My dad's like, I don't know where I am. What do, what do you mean? He's like, I don't, I don't know where I am. What, what does that mean? I don't, I don't He's like that. driving. He's like, I have no idea where I am. He got lost. He just doesn't know where he is. Now, my dad doesn't have GPS. Like he doesn't need it. He knows everywhere. Sorry, was your dad okay? Or did, you're you <laughs> making it sound like he like there was something... So. Like he, it was a medical condition. At the time, no one knew what was going on. So we just get this call. We're like, dude, you know how to get anywhere with your eyes closed. So where are you? I don't know. 
So like at that point, like I see my brother go like white in the face. I ended up doing find my iPhone, find him like 40 minutes from the house. We drive there and he's only speaking Hebrew. And I'm like, that's really weird. So come, let's, let me take you to the hospital. Go to the hospital. They do like CT scans, bunch of stuff. They say he's totally fine. You know, just tired, overworked. <clears throat> we go back home the next day, forgets his bank login. Now, my dad's uh, <laughs> the type of guy who doesn't forget bank logins. Yeah. So at that point, and not able to speak English. So I'm like, you know, calling my old hockey doctors. I'm like, is this normal? They're like, that's not normal. So I take him to a better hospital, Sunnybrook in Toronto. Mm-hmm. We're, at the, we're at the triage. She's like, all right, when's your birthday? I don't know what my birthday is. She looks at me. She's like. Aaron, you're smiling through the story. Does this like, is this well? <laughs> like, is your dad okay? No, he's okay now. Okay. But okay. at the time, it was really, really insane. Yeah, it was scary, yeah. And she looks at me and she's like... How old like, was he at this time? Early 50s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 54. Okay. Eight, six, yeah, 10 years ago. More than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And she looks at me and she's like, how could you have taken him out of the hospital? And I'm like, they let him go. She's like, guys, this man had a stroke. Doesn't remember his birthday. And it was like, we all kind of go really white in our face. She immediately like just almost grabs him, takes him in, CT scans, same thing all over again. Day later after, we just did it. Doctor comes in, she's like, you had a stroke. Like you're not even, you're not gonna be able to drive anymore. Like half his body, he's lost some, some just comp- so many different memories, evaporate overnight, forgets English. <clears throat> his job is to drive a truck though. And he can't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. So all within this whole saga of building a store, my dad no longer is able to work. And he's self-employed, so he's not getting a check. How, or how old's your oldest brother at this time? Early 30s. Okay. So that was like the plan was like, hey, can he quit and go do the job? <clears throat> we what, ended what up, your dad was going to do. Yeah, because yeah. we're like, we need money. We can't pay the bills. We can't, like, can't get kicked out of the house. We have this store that's not even finished built. Like, this is the worst possible thing that could have happened. And we realized he has like a really small life insurance policy that covers uh, like losing your job to something like this. And he got exactly a hundred grand. That's not, that's not life insurance. That's critical illness. Critical illness. But a yeah. part of the life insurance policy was, was the critical, critical illness. illness yeah. And a hundred grand is what we were short to finish the store. So we took the money that we got from my dad's critical illness policy, wow. opened the store, which is exactly the amount we needed three months later. And then when nobody knows on opening day, not only do we have not have enough money to refill the fridge, is we actually needed to pay the mortgage of the house. And all my brothers moved back home. So we were like, I remember in the basement, it was like the two of us, like people were sleeping all over the place, yeah. five grown ass men. And there was really only one option. We had no choice but to sell the fridge. And when people say like, was it for the business? It was like, it was this for was the family. The- Sorry, this was the, this, the business fridge you sold. The business fridge. So we, like, we had these cold-pressed juices. Yeah. So we took all our money, flipped it into fruit, flipped, you know, juiced all night. <clears throat> we had no money for employees, so we would do, we had a 24-hour shift. So me and my one brother, we would juice at night. The other two would run the store, mm-hmm. and then we would stay 
So then like they would run the store during the day. Then we would run, they would juice at night. So it's like a 18 hour shift. And then we would run the store, then juice at nights. So we were rotating 18 hour shifts. We had no employees for six months. Like I still have my toothbrush in the back of the store. I had a blow up mattress. That's how. Have you, have you told the story in a public forum before? Not really. No. I can't. You can't? I'm still like only giving you 80%. Okay. That's how difficult it was. You know, it's, wow. I'm, you know, it's, it's really surprising <clears throat> to me. It really is because when meeting you, right, it's one thing, you know, for me, I'm, I'm 50 years old and mm -hmm. I have my immigrant story and I remember as a child the struggles my family went through. You're, you're in a much younger generation than I am. Mm -hmm. And meeting you, you would never guess that you went through such a, I don't want to say it like, look, it, it, no, it's a difficult experience, <coughs> but mm -hmm. you make more sense to me now because prior to what you just told me, you were a bit mm -hmm. of an anomaly to me. Yeah. Because you come, like, you, you, on the surface, you look like, you know, you're a successful entrepreneur. You, you sold your company for tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. But it makes more, you make more sense to me now because I have found through doing these interviews and just through my own life experience that the more difficult someone's early life is or like their experiences in life, they're proportionately more successful later on. Because <laughs> it's the max pain. And, you know, and it is. And mm -hmm. you are such living proof of that. Like I'm talking about people that I know that have been incarcerated to go on to do just you know, mm -hmm. deaths in families. Like, and yeah. this is in that same vein. So you, you make more sense to me now. And, yeah. and look, I, and I commend you on it. And I also want to point something else out because the whole, the whole premise of this podcast is to, is to pull out information and knowledge from my guests to give people value so they understand how to press on. So they understand like that situations, no matter how dire they may think they are, there's so much on the other side of that, that that situation actually forges a person to be. Mm -hmm. And so with you, it's, you know, it's, it's evident. And, and I want to point out the power of family. And I think that's really what I'm taking from, from your mm -hmm. story is the fact that this happened in your family. You know, you are going into this venture. You, I'm just, I'm just kind of summarizing it for my, for myself and for the audience. Cause I want them to understand, you know, your mom started doing the juices. You, you know, you, you guys took it seriously. You put everything you have into it. You went to launch it everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And mm -hmm. as a family, you guys stayed together and you, and you pushed through that. And Aaron, like it's, I'm getting a little emotional mm -hmm. and, and, and I feel that you are too. And I, I, I hope that I can create a similar dynamic and a similar bond within my own family that your family has. I mean, you, <clears throat> you said something really important. You said that, that I can create and I mean, and you, you and Valeria are the people who are going to create it, right? Like, yeah. like my, I'm, there's so many times where I've either been on a podcast or done interviews or even consulted and people say like, you know, how do I recreate that? And I was just like, well, my, my parents lived it. Yeah. Like they, I watched it in real time. You know, I watched my dad leave, try to pay for hockey and debt and, you know, open up their retirement plans to pay for things. And like, they were always all in. I don't. I actually don't know. It's so really funny. Actually, there was a business opportunity that I turned down, like three, three or four months ago. And on the surface, it's an amazing business opportunity. Anyone would probably take it. 
And one of the investors called me and said, I heard you, you took it, you turned it down. Like, doesn't make any sense. We literally created this for you. And I said, I just not something I see myself being all in on. Mm -hmm. He said, you don't have to be all in, dude. Just be 50, 80%. And I said, I don't know anything else. Yeah. I only know all in and momentum and grind and go through a wall. And I don't even know if that's the right way. But all I've ever known was it served you. I mean, yeah. right or wrong, it works for you. Like just to be like insanely passionate about it where it doesn't feel like work. It's fun. It's grind. It's pain. It's joy. It's everything. But I only know that because I watched it every day. <clears throat> you know, I watched my parents grind. I watched them go through difficult situations. And that to me was always like, you know, a lot of people say don't, don't tell me, just show me. Yeah. We watched in real time, like, you know, no matter what, the values were always met. There was always dinner. It's, there was always community. Yeah, there was always family. Yeah. Look, it's hard enough for an individual to be committed to a goal, but to have seven people. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. Right? You have seven people yeah. who didn't quit in a situation like that. Did any, did any, like in that, you know, when, when that happened, I know the story ends well because I, mm -hmm. obviously I, I went. Yeah. I, I went to that location. Yeah, there's, yeah there's, but yeah. like, did at any point did the seven of you? So you were eighteen at the time, and your younger yeah. brother was how old? Fourteen. Okay, so like he's not he's not a child Still anymore. Still in he's high a teenager, school, but, like, but yeah. He's, but he's like he knows what's going on. Like, yeah, yeah. Did at any point the seven of you kind of sit down and look at each other and say, "What are we like? What are we going to do? Like, was there any like moment where like there was talk about quitting or?" For sure. Really? Yeah, I mean, we all live in the same house too. Right. So How did you push through that as a family? You know, at the, the end of the day, no matter how difficult things got, because they got difficult, yeah. you know, so many different times. Sure. And, and another thing is that we're all such different ages. You know, I'm 29 now. My brothers were 29 starting this, right? And I was 18, 19. I was still, you know, in their eyes, at least a kid. Yeah. So... There was also like how we communicated to each other was really different. We're all different stages. They were great girlfriends, goals of getting married. You know, I'm like working out. Like my friends are like going to university. I'm opening up a juice shop. So we're all just such different stages and we all kind of wanted different things. But no matter how difficult things got, there was one underlying premise was we need to take care of the house, the bills, the expenses, and my parents, those were even till today. And, you know, I've stepped away from the business. My brothers run it. Like it's got 10 locations, all these employees, manufacturing facility, no matter what happens, that underlying premise has never changed. You know, my parents are always in the picture. We're always taking care of them. Their stuff is always covered no matter what. How's your dad doing now? He's doing much better. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's doing, you know, and, it, it, when you talk to him about it, he's so grateful for it because it, you know, got him out of that awful job. And yeah. in one insane way or another, it was the reason we were able to start this business. You know, like we're short 100K. I remember me and my brother sitting on the curb outside of Dufferin Center. Yeah. We were trying to peel off the stuff from the windows. Like we had no idea what we were doing. And I remember him like looking over to me and being like, man, we, we fucked up. Like we have no idea what we're doing. 
And literally within a week, you know, my dad gets a stroke. We get a check for the amount of money that we're missing. It's like, you know, so he always says he took one for the team. But, you know, it's <laughs> like. It would have been better if that didn't happen. And yeah, you, exactly. You, you would have figured out how to get that 100 it, Yeah, that one way better. or another, it would have came to us. Yeah. I want to I flip gears a little. Um, yeah. I want to switch gears a little. And I want to talk about the store for a second. My, I mean, I haven't been in that store for, I mean, years. I haven't been there. I haven't lived there in a while. But I guess my question is, like, I remember being in that store and I remember that store being professional. Like it didn't look, so it didn't look like a family mom and pop shop. It didn't look like that. I know what yeah. those look like. Yeah. That it, it, it from day one looked like part of a corporate chain with a hundred locations. So how did you guys have that experience? Like how did you, how were you able to do that? Like you're, you're, you know, your parents are immigrants. There's no way that they, had an insight into kind of the the consumer mindset. Uh, you know, like, yeah. how were they able to design that store in such a way? My And sorry, before you answer, yeah. I apologize. I, yeah. I apologize because I remember it now, as I'm talking about it, I remember it now vividly. I remember, like, the, the presentation. I remember the merchandising. I remember kind of the in-store marketing, the point of sale, like, stuff that could, people who are consumers who are not in that type of business or yeah. in any business, they don't understand how intentional, intentional, intentional it all is but they leave the store with a certain feeling, which is because of those details. And those details were all covered in the store. Who had this knowledge on how to do that? I don't think any of us had experience doing any of that. We were super fortunate. My family, like my mom's sister, started a, a chain called Whatabagel. Oh, I know Whatabagel. You sure. know Whatabagel, yeah, right? And they had, at the time, at least like 10 or 14 locations. Okay. And this is sorry, your mom's? My mom's sister. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And she came to Canada before her. Gotcha. And my cousin, Danny, who was just like literally almost mentoring us. Amazing. For like free, just like the wanted to see us succeed, would always like challenge us to like think differently. And, you know, we'd come with the design of what we wanted. He's like, you know, try again. Th like keep thinking deeper. And my mom, we actually sent my mom to Florida, to Miami. And there was a juice. I don't, I don't even know if it still exists. There was like a juice shop that he really liked. Yeah. And he's like, go and get inspiration. And they had the wood okay. and they had this beautiful fridge and they, they labeled the bottles. So we, got, we grabbed like bits and pieces of information from everywhere. But it was, I wanted to say like, you know, most people have board meetings once a quarter. Mm -hmm. We were having one every single night at the house. <laughs> you know, like we were at the table every night, you know, pulling up images and sketches and we were challenging each other so much. Like every idea you had, you better, you better have thought through it because you were about to get hammered by four other people. And that forced us to really get creative. And we had like, you know, different types of point of sales. And we actually ended up coming up with a subscription package where you can buy a, mm -hmm. a session mm -hmm. of juices. And we did all of that just through like spending so much time Iteration. together. Yeah. Iteration, yeah. And by the time we got to the finished product, people were like you, they were like, where'd you guys come up with this? And it was like, you ever had like a board meeting every day for a year? Of course. So that's that's kind of what forged it. Was um, there was there ever a an issue of ego? For sure. Yeah, you know, I, I like me and my brothers would compete. You know, I would create a smoothie to be the best seller. My other brother would want to make a smoothie that was a better seller, and I'd make a juice. And then he, we, you know, there was so much internal. My mom would make like a soup. The soup ended up selling out every day. She would like. You know, tell what I made the soup, you know, like there was a lot of that. There that was sounds like, like healthy competition. It was healthy. It was fun. And it was it, like, you know, we were, 
it were risky. Like we learned how to use this brand new, we call it the Lamborghini of juices the day before opening. Yeah. Like that's not good business practice, you know, but we had no choice and we sit there with the, with the manual and we'd figure it all out. But there was never a moment where we didn't think we'd figure it out. There was never a, like we opened up, you know, without a cash register and without a debit machine. How'd you? <laughs> so it was, it was only like a credit card chip thing from Square. Oh, wow. And if you didn't have credit card, then you'd have to have exact change or we'd like give you more <laughs> stuff or something. Wow. You okay. know, so like okay. it wasn't that Wild. fluid. Yeah. But people like respected it. And, you know, one thing about that store, you know, and people still talk about it till today, for the first year you'd walk into that door, it was a family member greeting you. Yeah. It was me, my brothers, and my mom. It was always your mom who greeted me. Oh, yeah, because you probably went in the morning. I did. I went. She in the didn't let anyone else open the store but for her. Yeah. You know, that was her thing. She's like, I'm there at 7. I open it up. Amazing. And, you know, she probably sold you on a juice cleanse. She did. She was best salesperson in yeah. company history. And she would always say, she's like, what I do in two hours. Like, her whole thing was, I'll sell the fridge before you wake up. Wow. That was her thing. You know, so she was competitive. So we had to, like, show up after her. And she was very very tough in her standards of cleanliness the way the fridge looked the way the products were displayed is your mom still at that store no 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 she's not at the store but she's still like really heavily involved in like the new product curation the way it's designed i'm assuming i mean you have 10 stores i'm assuming you have like a corporate head office or something yeah is, so is we have a we have a, a commissary that produces for all the stores every mm. single day so yeah she spends a lot of her time right. there like innovating recipes but yeah she still to today, like really has such a high standard. How, how many of your, sorry to interrupt you, how many of the seven are working at Revati Size? My two parents for, and yes. my two brothers run it. And my two other brother older runs. brothers. Yeah, my two older brothers run. So it's four of them that really spend every day in it. Okay. And so I guess you're growing up in this environment. Did you end up going to college? I went for one year because I got a, I got, like an opportunity to hockey play hockey. Scholarship, yeah. yeah. And I remember doing a few classes <clears throat> and probably my best coach of all time. I've been out of all the years. I didn't even, he didn't play me much. Usually players don't like the coach that doesn't play them. Yeah. It's a known thing, but I loved him. He didn't even play me and I loved him. I thought he was so professional, so organized. And we won the championship that year. And he knew that we only spoke about business because he knew that's all I cared about. He didn't talk to me about hockey. Talk to me about business. And he came to me at the end of the year and he said, you're probably going to go all in on business, right? And I didn't like want to say yes because I felt bad. And I was like, oh, I'm thinking about it. But he knew and uh, I dropped out that year. Yeah, and actually I dropped out before the end of the year. I took a class. You know Shulik. Shulik is like one of the best business schools, so I would say. So for everybody right? who knows, Shulik is the business school at York University in Toronto, which is considered a, a probably, a, I think Shulik and Ivy are probably the two up there, top yeah. business schools in Canada. At least, yeah. And so I had the opportunity to take a crowdfunding class at Shulik. Sorry, I want to interrupt you for a second. My, my son is here, and I just wanted to make a statement because I don't think my son gets the full context of this. So I introduced you to Aaron, right? Remember? No, he, he's shy right now. I just want you to know something. You're not shy? Okay. I want you to know something. Aaron is 29 years old. Aaron recently sold his company for $48 million. I'm telling you that because I want you to understand what's... Can you say sorry as David Sentner? No, David Sentner... David... David... So David Sander is the David Sander is one of the founders. Him and his wife founded his the school that he goes to. And he's, oh. he's an exited entrepreneur as well. So they have a. I mean, it's a similar situation in, the, in terms that they both sold their companies. Are you listening, son? Yeah. The reason I'm telling you this 
okay, about Aaron because I want you to understand what's possible, okay? Anyways, let's continue. Sorry, I just wanted yeah, to... Yeah, no, so <clears throat> I took this crowdfunding class because I was really interested in starting a Kickstarter. Yeah. And I was just I was just enamored by the whole thing. So you took a crowdfunding class? At Shulik. They had it was a an crowdfunding elective. class. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's why. I was, I mean, it was the first year they had it, and I got the opportunity to get in. And I wasn't going to Shulik. I was going to regular, like, York. Mm -hmm. But because I was on the hockey team, I had access to all these, like, unique classes. That's amazing. So I'm, like, fired up. The class at Shulik is always double the price. So I remember I paid with my visa because I had no money. I put my visa in the machine at the dean's office, 4500 bucks, accepted. I go to the class. First two classes are great, explaining all the different types of crowdfunding. And the fourth class, I go to the professor, and I was starting my own Kickstarter. And I forget his name, but I was like, you know, professor, I am so excited about this class. Of all my classes, this is the one I care about. Because not only am I super interested in crowdfunding, but I'm starting my own. So there's going to be a, an opportunity for me to get a little bit ahead here because like I'm in the process. Mm -hmm. So do you mind just like tell me some of the crowdfunding projects you've done? I'll study up on them. And like maybe you and I will like do a little extra work together. Does that help in the 1.5 million you raised on Kickstarter? You know what he says to me? I never did a crowdfunding class. Huh? He's like, I never did a crowdfunding campaign. Sorry, this is the guy who's professor crowdfunding? Yeah. Because I've never done one. I feel like that's so indicative of formal education in universities, <laughs> right? The people teaching it, and I don't want to shit on like, you know, universities yeah. and stuff, but the people teaching it haven't actually done any of the shit that they're teaching. He worked for an oil company. He's like, I just, you know, I, I helped create this class. So I know a lot about it, but I've never done it. And I, and you, in my is, head, I'm, you paid the I'm still right? feeling the pain, the 4,500 on my visa. So I walked directly back to the admissions office and I said, listen, I'm not going to call you a scam, but I have a feeling I got scammed. This is a Schulich. This is like... This is a really guys, good Guys, this is like school. the Harvard of Canada. Yeah, this is the best. Fucking good for you. <laughs> that's that's so wild. I'm like, I think I got scammed. And she's like, no, like he is very well worked, like verse, he created the, like he's in it, but I'm like, he never did it. And wow. she's like, he doesn't, she's like, that's not a, like, a prerequisite for Dude, becoming you're a professor. You're blowing, that's not a prerequisite for being a professor. So not actually, that just blows my mind. Yeah, sorry, who's like, teaching? Sorry, uh, now, I'm, now I'm concerned. Almost all the classes are like this. No, but I'm concerned. You know what I'm concerned about? Who's teaching doctors? Are the people teaching doctors doctors <laughs> at least? I don't, I don't know, man. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> put my card in, give me back the money. She's like, oh, the cutoff was last week. You missed the cutoff to get a refund. I bet the story ends with you getting your money back. So no, the story ends with me barging into the Dean's office After saying, that, yeah, I said, I play. Up. Yeah. I'm like, I gave you $12,000 for a bunch of classes. I'm done. Like the hockey season's over already. I'm not playing hockey anymore. I'm done. I want all my money back. She gives me a number for like some OSAP or something to go get like a loan. Yeah, yeah. She's like, you're not getting anything back. I'm like, and in my head, I remember I, I called my friend who's now my, my co-founder at the time yeah. and I was like, I got scanned, I'm done with school. And I, I dropped right out of school that day and never went back. And then ended up starting my own full circle moment. We did our own Kickstarter. We did a million and a half dollars in that campaign, yes. top 10 Canadian campaign of all time. And then I spoke at Schulich because they, oh. thought, they thought I was an alumni. So they brought me back as an alumni speaker and halfway through my talk, I told them how I dropped out and you should have seen the dean's face when they realized that I didn't actually graduate. Thank you so much. But yeah, there was a full circle moment for that. But yeah, I dropped out 
within my first year. That's wild. That, and it was that, at a different time. Now when kids are dropping out, it's kind of cool. Like, oh, what are you up to? What are you going to do? When I dropped out, it was like, you know, become a drug addict or a drug salesman or like a hot dog stand outside the Leaf <laughs> I love game. The way, I love the way you call a drug dealer a drug salesman. You make it sound like <laughs> such a noble profession. <laughs> well, that's all. Those are the options. Like if you didn't have school and everyone kept saying, well, what's your plan B? Yeah. You know, that was, that was, the, that was, that was the way out. Like were yeah. your parents, were your parents a big kind of proponent of formal education? I called my dad. I said, Hey, I just dropped out of school. He's like, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that which was is, it. Which didn't is, have, which didn't care. No, but yeah. which, by the way, I mean that. Good for him. Good for yeah. him, and good for you, because that's a hard thing for an immigrant to do. Because an immigrant's mentality is education is the way. Education, like you know, and mm -hmm. if I would have, no, nah, if I would have said to my parents, my parents didn't really have anything to do with with me after the age of eighteen. Like I didn't, they weren't really calling the shots. So that that that's different. But no, that, look, that's that's wild. So I I want to I want to talk about about hush. You know, so hold on. Before we talk about Hush, you had the opportunity to continue. You already had a business at some form of scale, right? So you started Hush. What? What? I think when you I was, I started when I was twenty-three. So about no six years. Yeah, ago. twenty-two, twenty-three. Yeah, six years ago. Right. Exactly. Okay. So you you went from zero. I read it was a four thousand dollar investment. Yeah. Which is less than the course you took, which is, right? <laughs> right? It's so ironic. I had no it's money. Like, like that's what like like that credit card bill didn't get paid. I was accruing, you know, twenty percent. Okay. Like so. So here's the, guys. Here's the message. Here's <laughs> the message. I'm talking to you, you, you watching this. Okay. You can either pay forty five hundred dollars to take a course, or you can start a business. I mean, yeah. Like it's it's no, it's wild. Okay. So here, so I wanna I wanna understand you your Revita size is going. You guys are getting scale. I, I'm, I'm guessing you're out of the woods. You're doing all right. Things are moving along. You have multiple locations. You could have continued to iterate within, within your family's business. Correct. Now your family's business went on to do just fine without you. Yeah. Um, why the pivot? Why, why going away and doing something completely different? I mean, and by the way, it wasn't like it's a, it, what's here's what's interesting about it okay sorry i have to give some more context yeah right now in the stuff that i do so valeria and i we have valeria's media company together mm -hmm. and our main business currently is valeria's personal brand and so we do a lot of brand deals and we you know we try different ways to monetize one of the ways you and i are going to be talking about we started talking about it and we're yeah. gonna have a fun conversation and see where that goes but for me when i start a new business now or anything i'm doing i'm doing it based off of the kind of the goodwill and the assets and everything that we've built in our current business where there's millions of followers and there's things that we can do or we're coming out with an academy and right. our education won't be a waste of money. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but because you guys are doing well, it. Well, because we're doing yeah, it. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yes. Now I understand. Yeah, yes. You're doing it. Because we've you know? done it. That's the key. Yeah. Okay. So, but so again, so for me, I'm not jumping into something like, and I've thought about, okay, what can I do next? And even this, like I'm doing this podcast and I'm like, well, I'm going to do a podcast because Valera is going to promote it. There's, there's a goodwill that I have with her audience. Right. You know, we've come up with product lines. There's the, so you, you went and you had a, <clears throat> you had this juice concept, which was doing well. And you said, I'm not going to use the, like, you know, what I have there. You had multiple locations. You had a client base. You had a brand. I'm starting something completely different in a completely different product category. So I, explain the logic behind this. I always believe that people are a product of, a, their environment, and B, what they're exposed to. And 
you know, as everyone just heard kind of my story, I wasn't exposed to a lot of money. Growing up, teachers, environment, circles, 100K a year was the goose egg. That's what you yeah. wanted. If you can get to 100K a year, you had everything. Mine was 60. Exactly. I'm it grow- a couple and, of generations. And before. it grows, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, I, you know, we built everything we built to get to that because that was, that was what we wanted, right? We can get to 100, we're going to be set. That's everything you ever wanted is on the other side. Make a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Yeah. And you know, my now business partner in Hush, I meet him at a bar, and we we're both very similar. He dropped out, I dropped out. All my friends are at university and partying. I'm opening up stores at six in the morning, grinding out throughout the night. And he was like traveling the world, teaching SEO, marketing. And he's also a really young guy. And a mutual friend of ours was like, "You guys are both kind of freaks, you know, a little bit different. You guys should meet." It's like, yeah. you know, maybe. So we meet at a bar at a mutual event, and. You know, I'm telling him about myself, you know, we had 80 to 80 employees and, you know, all this juices and stores. And like, he was just, he was like, wow, this is insane. And you're 20, what, 21? I'm like, yeah. And like, you know, he was so excited about the idea. And I'm like, well, tell me about yourself. He's like, I have one employee, but I have this like really cool software company and we're crushing it. And I was like, okay, cool. And then he looks at me, he's like, well, you know, what do you make every month? And I was like, like I, do people ask this? You know what you it know? reminds me of? You know what it reminds me of? You know the scene in Wolf of Wall Street? This is, ex- yeah, this is the exactly the yeah. scene. And he goes, what do you make every month? And I was like, you know, this month, you know, I, I just opened up my own location by myself in Mississauga. Like, I was just bullish. I was all in. I'm like, this month, man, I think I'm going to make $10,000. Mm-hmm. I was 21. <clears throat> That's 120 a year. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm living. You're there. You know? And he looks at me and he's like, for the month? Or like the week, the day? I said, for the month? What do you mean? Like, this is amazing, dude. I, I, I feel what's coming, yeah. And he goes, oh, okay. And it doesn't say much. Like, it's really kind of tight. Kind of like I could, like, watch his respect meter for me, like, you know, go right down. Like, And I was like, what What are you making every month? Like, what's going on? He, was, like, waiting, oh. he was waiting for that question. Yeah, and, he, you know, very, like, humble guys. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, 50, 60, 70. I was like, what? He's like, yo, 50, 100. And I was like, what? You have one, you have one in... How? And we just kind of like, he's like, well, I'll show you one day. And we ended up just being friends. And he was teaching me so much about the internet. He was actually the reason I launched an e-commerce store for Revita Size, which ended up being our most profitable store because, it's, you know, to grow a, a like a quick service restaurant, you make, let's say, two, 300K, 400K a year on a, on a location. You have to take all that money in order to grow. You got to dump it again in another spot and open another location. Yes. And then that's a whole risk. You got to yeah. grind your way up. And then if you're lucky, you do it again and again and again. And then that whole thing is like a house of cards because you have to bet on majority of them working out. In this business, he's like, you, you know, you can just sell online to everyone out of one store. He's like, you take a location and you deliver. And I was like, what? That's the e-commerce turning point for you. Yeah. That's and what then, that's what got you interested in e-commerce. Okay. And the nicest guy ever, he helped me launch uh, the Revised Size website. It quickly became, at the time, the highest performing virtual like location in the entire business. It expanded Revised Size massively. All thanks to him. And you were delivering, sorry, you were delivering within Toronto. Yeah, we had a whole delivery route. Sorry, you were delivering directly to consumer. Yeah. But that Juices. Is a, no, no, I understand. Yeah. First of all, okay, that's a whole other distribution model. That's mm-hmm. a completely different animal because it's one thing to, you know, you, you were mentioning your commissaries and, you know, to supply a single location that's going to distribute from the one location to, you know, hundreds of people in a, in a single day, presumably, to now 
you're creating it for a mobile, like a truck, and now you're 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 going, and you have to keep them for like so. The, the logistics are different. The whole cash flow model is different. There's a tech layer. There's yeah. a lot of complexity in this. So mm-hmm. how were you able like that? That's intriguing. To me. Yeah. So I started. I was the first and the only like juice press, like juice cold press juice. We also have like soups, salads, wraps, like everything healthy food. The first to run Facebook ads with that. We were crushing. Was this pre Uber Eats? Yeah. Okay. Well, Uber Eats was like, you know, overpriced at the time, slow, didn't service all the areas. It was like only downtown core at the time. No, I know, but like you, they already had somewhat of an infrastructure where everybody knew, okay, I can go to this one hub and I can get everything. So you had to divert that traffic into a, like a single brand mm-hmm. and get them. Was it an app or is it a site? It's just a website, go online. Was it mostly desktop usage? Both. Like it was, it, it wasn't an app. It was, it was just a website. You can go on your phone as well. We also had a subscription model and it was cheaper than Uber Eats. So if you liked Revita, mm-hmm. it was cheaper. Uber Eats is always typically more expensive because they take, now they take 25 to 35% of every order. Mm-hmm. So most restaurants inflate their pricing on Uber Eats to make yeah. up for that margin. Yeah. So it was always cheaper and it was guaranteed fresh. So we would juice throughout the day and then deliver at night. So literally your bottle of juice was made hours ago. As opposed to Uber Eats, you take from, you know, a day or two day old, yeah. which is still fresh, but yeah. it wasn't as good. We had a delivery routes, we had drivers, we were facilitating the whole. So did you have to pitch that to your, dude, this is like a much longer <laughs> podcast than, than you know, because there's, a, there's still a lot of stuff for you and I to cover. But I, I wanted get it. to do it. And, and my brothers kind of said, yeah, sure. Like give it a try, see how it goes. And like, we quickly went for like a couple orders. to so like literally doing 20, 30, 40 orders a night. You were just arbitraging, not just, but you were arbitraging Facebook ads. Crushing it. And you, so you were going in on like in candidates, postal codes, not zip codes, but you were going in on a postal code basis. You were looking at the target demographics and you would, you would go into those areas one that you felt the demographic was <clears throat> more likely because you already had your demographic data from from mm-hmm. the from the stores. You kind of knew the demographic in terms of age, gender. You knew the socioeconomic data of Correct. who you're targeting. That's the zip code based on property values. So you were tar- were you doing this kind of hyper targeting that I'm talking? Well, about? Not only was I doing that hyper targeting, but to your point about Uber Eats, Uber Eats facilitates at the time it was one kilometer, but now they do five or what people know is it three miles around yeah. the store. Yeah. Right at the time it was one, mm-hmm. right. That means that we only had eight locations. So we still weren't able to service all of Toronto and the GTA. I now serviced all of Toronto. So Brampton, Mississauga, Scarborough, the beaches, anywhere that wouldn't be able to get access to us. It would also give us insight into where potential customers are yeah. so we could open up yes. in that location. And, you're, and, and, you were, and you were building the brand through those through ads that you were arbitraging in real time, like you were making real time profitability, like you were correct. It, you're right. So I mean, you see the model you, now. I, well, get now free I, mo- I get paid for profitable marketing. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> so you're doing both branding and arbitrage yep. simultaneously. Yeah, no, it's genius. And growing the stores because I would put in all the orders. Hey, here's a free smoothie yeah, if you yeah, go yeah, here yeah, nearest yeah, yeah. location. No, it's, it's brilliant. So it's, it's brilliant. scaled rapidly. But Aaron, how did you figure this out? I mean, it's one thing that your your friend, this this guy who became your yeah. your, your founder, your co-founder. Yeah. It's one thing that he set up, like the tech stack for you, but where did you get the marketing understanding and how did you know to run Facebook ads and do this type of thing? Oh, he, it came from he's, him as well. He just sat down and he's like, let's do it. And Why I did, did this uh, for you. This wasn't his business. This was like, I'm assuming he, you didn't give him shares on Revival. <laughs> no, he's, he's just a special guy. He's a nice guy? Yeah, he's a special, special guy. Um, you know, type of guy that donates 10% of everything he makes. Actually, just really wanted to help and... You know, it was it was doing so well 
but not as well as like, I was still so enamored by him. And we went to Israel. I played in like one of the hockey games in Israel. He's, a, he's Israeli, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. And we're in Israel and he was traveling the world, like speaking on stages. This isn't like 23, 24. You got to get him on the pod. I'll get him on the pod. Get for him you. on the pod. Yeah. And, and he's like, I'm going to come watch you play hockey. I never seen you play. I'm going to come and fly. I think it was in New Zealand. I'm going to fly. I'm going to watch you play hockey. I'm like, you know what? Come. Ended up staying with me. We ended up extending the trip and he booked like the most amazing Airbnb. And I'm like, this is, uh, this guy is unbelievable. And I'll never forget. I'll never, ever forget. This was like, this was the Wolf of Wall Street moment. I wake up and I hear like someone talking, like on a Zoom call. This is like before Zoom calls, but he's talking to his computer. And yeah. all I hear is, welcome guys. Thank you. Nice to see you, Eric. Nice to see you, Chris. And I'm like, I'm in my bed and like picture like I'm sleeping there and he's on his computer here. So I'm like looking at him and I'm like, what are you? And he's like, Shh, just like relax, you know, like stay in bed. And he's like, welcome, welcome. He's like, nice. We got, we got 1500 of you. We got 2000 of you. Wow. He's like, I'm going to wait two more minutes. We'll get 3000. I'm like, 3000 of who, of what? And I'm watching him do this incredible pitch and it's seamless and he's bringing people in and like got this guy's on like free Aviv, you know, Wi-Fi is free, free Tel Aviv Wi-Fi, like with a tank top on, with a laptop on his lap, talking to 3000 people closes the computer and I'm like, dude, what was that? He's like, oh, it was a webinar. I'm like, and what happens? He's like, well, why don't you hold my phone and see? And I just see Stripe notifications, 1,000, 5,000, 3,000, 5,000, 5,000, 3,000, 5,000, 5,000. And I'm like, and I'm working so hard selling juices and like cranking like blenders and like all that for a 10 bucks. And my mind was explode. I watched someone make- He was make, a course. He was teaching people how to sell- <laughs> So he was like an SEO wizard mm -hmm. and he was teaching people how to basically start and scale their SEO business. And he had a SaaS. Their, sorry, their SEO agency. Yeah. Getting other clients. So you teach you how to close the whole, the whole course. And then he had a software to get you leads. So it was I'm a understanding, full. I'm understanding one of the, like I'm understanding a massive contributing factor to Hush's success because if he brought on the SEM, the SEO, yeah. Right. And I looked at him in that moment and I said, whatever you do next, I'm doing it with you. And he's like, yeah, 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 sure. And then that was in July. Back and forth, so many different businesses ideas. I'm trying to get him to sell cricket protein. I'm, I'm like getting him involved in Amazon. I'm starting. protein moment. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that on your. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going all in. And he goes, he hits me up one day. He's like, dude, you know, that cricket protein was great. There's 10,000 people searching for it every single month. But Weighted Blankets has 300,000 people searching for it every month and only two people selling it. And he's like, you want to do it? And then he's like, I've, he's like, I've never done physical product. You know everything about physical products. He's like, but I'll, I'll do the, the marketing side of it. And we sat down and I was like, done. I ordered all the way to blankets, iterated, improved the product, changed it. And we launched literally within two months. And kind of the rest, I was opening juice shops every single night. I'm sorry, every single morning until five o'clock. He would run his SaaS business till five o'clock. We'd eat dinner together at 6, 6.30. Yeah. It's not SaaS. He had an academy teaching people. It was both. So you had the SaaS on the back end, and then you had the sales course on the front end. So he would teach you how to start and scale your SEO business, but then his SaaS platform would get you leads. Okay. See what I mean? He gets no, you the I'm leads and teach you how to sell them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's genius. Crazy, yeah. So that was our commitment. And then we made a commitment. We said, hey, if this business gets to a certain amount of revenue every month, you're, he pointed at me, he's like, you got to leave the juices and I'll sell this SaaS. And we looked at each other. We said, what do you mean he's going to sell his SaaS business? He's going to sell the whole thing, yeah. Okay. And we said, okay. We, we shook hands. And within a year, 
we hit, hit that goal and you know i had to my brothers kind of ran away with it and i we had to have that conversation he sold your brother sorry they ran with the juice yeah i had to kind of say hey i got to focus on this because like you know we were doing 7 p.m till like one or two in the morning every day and i would open the store at 6 a.m so i was sleeping like four hours a night and we did that for an entire year until the business hit can i put you on the spot yeah you can say no well it, but let me let me let's I, do it. I have an ask I Tell me. Asked. Yeah. So I'm starting this academy. Right? Yeah. You and I have talked about it at length, and just mm-hmm. so people know, like you were at, you were here with with Hannah, and we were with Valeria. We were doing yep. cold plunging and sauna, and I explained to you about this course, and you see, you were you were very very supportive, and you, I, I believe that you believe it's a good idea. Yeah. So my, I guess my formal ask is, if you and your partner could spend ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes with me, giving me tips on how I can better present my course and kind of all the funnels and everything to mm-hmm. our existing audience yeah and i'll ask for that i'll ask i'll ask for your advice for sure okay we'll be happy to look at it thank you yeah thank you i, I why not i'm happy to you to guys do so. know how to do it i mean if yeah. you guys could do it with physical product i can only imagine what you would do with, with a digital product like what i'm oh it's way easier you don't have to fulfill well you don't have to, that's, that's <laughs> well you have to fulfill but nothing physical but yeah. um, no i have a lot of respect for it because valeria yeah. and i we had a we had a clothing company that, that we started mm-hmm you know, under the premise that we would sell to Valeria's audience and we had to wind it down because like the physical product business. Super difficult. I mean, manufacturing, iteration, yeah. all of that, the logistics. Never ends. Never ends. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, so you're, you're into Hush now. You're, uh, you're a year into it. You guys had shaken hands the year prior. You made your commitments. You sell, not sell, you step away. Your brothers start taking, yeah. taking care of the, the revitalized the like digital, you know, side of the business. Well, sorry, what was your partner's name? Le- Lior. Lior, right? Yeah. So Lior, he he made good on his promise to sell his yeah, SaaS sold, business. Sold the business, and we went. We 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 both lived in the same building at the time. He was on the 19th floor. I was on the 22nd, 16 Young. You might know you know the building right on yeah. Young and Lakeshore. Yeah. And we went. We rented a one bedroom on the second floor. That was your office. And we made an office there, and we just went all in. So I have questions about your business, about Hush specifically, and about e-commerce specifically. Okay. Yeah, I'm lovely. Not gonna, I'm not going to not take advantage of this time I have with you by not. <laughs> I'm not asking you about e-commerce. So give me a second here. My face ID is not working. Okay. So you've already answered a lot of the questions in terms of the origin. I was going to say why e-commerce specifically. I understand now right. the entire kind of you know story. I read that you started Hush with no money. Correct. So I guess my question is, you, you you had access to capital. It seems like you had access to capital, whether it was from your family or Revita size. Uh, Lior had access to capital. Yeah, so, well, I didn't because the one thing with Revita that kind of I mentioned before is that Get we, were in, we were in growing mode. So, like, we didn't take any salaries. So my rent was, like, 1500 bucks a month, and we all we pay each other, like, 2500 or whatever. Right. Like, the non-taxable amount was because yes. we didn't want to pay. We wanted to be below that threshold. Yep. Um and Lior was was like when we started going. So what happened was the first four thousand dollars actually Lior put up, and that was like to get us off the ground. And we went into pre-order right away. And the four thousand dollars was sorry. Just to be clear, when you say pre-order, that means you didn't actually have product. I had zero product. Right. I couldn't so afford you, it. Right. So you created you created the the material. You created the photography. Uh, right. Did you run it on Shopify? We ran it on Shopify. We ran it on Shopify. One landing page. We built it in one night. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are so. And then where was the traffic coming from? And then Leo calls his buddy, who was like running Google ads. Again, we had no money, so we can't pay an agency. Right. And, and we you can't say, pay Google. Yeah. Right. Right. So 
then we, so then that's where actually it was $2,000, sorry for the website. Cause we paid like a little bit of design, like right. a couple apps, very, very small. Yep. And then we put 2000 into, we said, we're going to take 2000 bucks. We're going to put it into Google ads yep. because we know there's 300,000 people searching a month for weighted bike. It's let's bid and see if we can sell one. You know, Sorry. and if we can't sell one, <laughs> then whatever. Leroy's like, I told Leroy, I said, listen, I'll pay you back 2000 okay. you know, like we'll lose 2000 each. Cause I, I knew I can do that. Just, I needed like two months, you know, or three months. And he's like, done. We put uh the next day we, we'd launch Google ads and I'll never so forget about AdWords. AdWords. Not yeah. Display. So you type in on Google weighted blankets. Right. We want it to be there. That sounds like a very expensive keyword. Uh, not at the time. There's only two competitors. So, right. uh, you know, you get, there's three spots. Now there's Google shopping at the time there wasn't. So it was just three spots. One, two, three. We bid on the second spot. And before you know it, I remember we were sitting there and I got that Shopify to Ching and in like moments, like within that day, the first day, oh, I see. Okay. yeah, we got a cha-ching. I was freaking <clears throat> out. I didn't ever heard that sound before. Yeah. How long, sorry, how long did you tell them it would take for them to get the we product? Sa- we said, so it was funny enough, the first order we didn't have pre-order because I had a sample. So I'm like, we're going to ship the sample out, <laughs> you know, and I still have a picture of it and we wrote them a card and they actually ended up returning it, funny enough, but it was still a sale at the time. And we made a sale and we look at each other and we're like, oh my God, like we're rich, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's done. And it was a profitable sale. It cost us $20 for the $300 blanket. So there was huge margin. Huge. And so we, we reinvested it. was it. still the cost of goods though. Uh, yeah. But like, it was still like a th- three times the return. It was very, it was an incredible margin on your Re- first sale, yeah. right? With like a website we Frankensteined. It's all really good signs. Yeah. The next day, three sales. And I remember looking at Leroy, I've got a video of it and I'll even send it to you. Maybe you can run in the B-roll. I look at him, I'm on the couch and I'm like, dude, we make three sales. Next stop, 30. We're going to 10X. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like on the computer. And next day, five sales, 10 sales, 20 sales. But again, you didn't have inventory. We had zero inventory. So what, what time frame were you promising the clients? So at that point, we're like, we better buy inventory because <laughs> we're getting all these sales. And we started getting like enough money coming in because like these are all like pure cash, right? Because we didn't spend anything yeah, yet. Uh, and we put in our first PO and, you know, we called everyone. We said, hey, it's going to be two to th- two months. It ended up being three, but we thought it would be two. We, we never ordered from China before. We had no idea what was going on. Uh, we just had one sample and people were kind enough. They, they waited. Some people canceled, but it was like head down every single night. Like you, if you abandoned the cart on hush or at the time it was hushblankets.ca. We bought hush.ca later, but I would call you like you couldn't get our conversion rate was insane. I was calling, I was calling people so many times. Their husband would call me back and say, whoever you are, if you call my wife one more time, I'm going to find you. Mm-hmm. That's how serious it was. I, we didn't let anything go to waste to the point where we were able to snowball this flywheel and it was super profitable where we didn't have to put much more money in. And we were able to then buy more inventory. And what we were always on pre Hush has been on pre-order for five years straight. Like the sheets that you just got here. Yeah. People waited for the, we launched a charcoal version. They waited six months. You ever, you ever thought of anybody waiting for six months for a pair of sheets? You know, 40 places in the back of your head, you can go and get sheets right now. Yeah. Like today, like yeah, yeah. literally before you eat lunch. I could literally get it on Amazon. It'll be yeah. delivered today. Yeah. You can probably get it on your phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the type of brand we were building was there was hype. There was energy behind it. 
And we were so passionate that the people on the other side felt it and they were willing to wait. And that's how we were were able to cash flow it just from pre-orders. Did you run into obstacles at any point? Tremendous amount. We oversold Chris, you know, I never sold anything online. I didn't understand what Christmas is really like in terms of like retail sales. It's like the, like the Mecca of the year. I didn't know that. So we ordered like 500 blankets our first Christmas. I remember November 25th or 26th was our first Black Friday. We sold all 500 before noon Yeah, with zero blankets coming in. And we called our supplier and he's like, I'll get it to you for Christmas. Don't worry. It's coming for Christmas. We're like, all right, give us 5,000 or 10,000. It was 10,000 blankets. We sold 8,000 of those 10. Little did we know is not to believe when a supplier says he's going to get to you yeah. or something on time. I ended saw, up yeah. not delivering 8,000 Christmas gifts. Now, our blankets are $329. It was the same year that the PS4 came out or the no, PS4 came out. And for a lot of people, this was the main gift underneath the tree. It was a $329 gift. And we disappointed 8,000 customers and we got you know, an onslaught of reviews. We had to refund over $150,000. It was a really, really horrible time for us. But, you know, we like to say we've learned from it. We changed things. We always try to be ahead. But the business grew so fast, it was impossible for us to predict. You did a wild thing. And you did something where after I read about that you did that, I've already sent emails to... (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. I've already... You probably know what I'm talking about. I've already Mm -hmm. sent emails to kind of the, you know, like our CEO who runs Valeria Inc. And I said to her, I want to do this. She hasn't replied to me yet, but she's probably going to reply saying you're a (laughs) maniac. And what you did was you to your clients, to your consumer, like these are your retail customers. I'm going to do this with my B2B clients, with marketing executives at the, where the, where the marketing executives at the companies that that do uh, brand deals with us. You did this with consumers. You sent out a Calendly link inviting people and asking people to speak with you so you could understand what's going on with the product, like their, their perception or their, their opinion on your product. What was the genesis of this idea? Why did you do that? It came actually from the juice business. So, you know, I said earlier in our conversation that like my brothers, my family, we would compete for who has the best smoothie, the best, you know, juice, but we made a rule and we said, hey, a smoothie, a recipe, a soup, a juice, doesn't go for sale unless the customers love it, like love it, rave for it. So what we would do is I would make a smoothie. I'd pour it into a bunch of little cups. I'd stand at the front door. I'd be like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Ah, it's pretty good. It needs a little more cinnamon. Ah, it's pretty good. A little too much of this, a little too much of that. And I'd iterate, iterate, iterate. And eventually I'd get to one where I'm like, oh my God, yeah, give me that. Whatever I was going to order, don't, ignore that. Give me that. I want that. And then we'd add it to the menu. And it was, we knew it would sell. And we did that with, my mom would sit there with a hot thing of soup and pour people little cups of soup until they, no, not enough salt, not enough this. And so that was how we did it because like, well, I'm not going to, we didn't have money. It's like, we're not going to add things to the menu that aren't going to sell. It's yeah. it a waste of space. So that's how I, that's how I learned how to innovate product was by real time feedback. Yeah. Now with e-commerce it's tough because you have to ship out product. You, you know, you're not going to their home. You're not instant, like in your eyes, give me the honest truth. But it was something that we adopted literally since day one. And I remember very vividly when we launched the pillow, we sold 3,000 pillows 
in just under 72 hours. And I went on LinkedIn, like everybody does. And I said, we sold 3000 pillows in 72 hours. This pillow is unbelievable. And everyone's like, well, what was the trick? What was the hack? You know, what was the marketing? What was the ad? What was the email? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I knew we were going to sell 3000 pillows. How? To answer that is super simple. I spent three months, me, my co-founder, some people from our team, calling, sending out emails with a Calendly link to book five. I booked five-minute calls. I always knew it would be 10, but I always booked five-minute calls and saying, hey, the co-founder of the business, the executive, the director of the business wants five minutes with you. I want to talk to you about some product I'm working on. I want your insight. Every single person that got the link booked, even to the point where I had to like, it ended up being months. Every person I called, the second I was like, hey, is Aaron the co-founder of Hush? They thought it was a prank. They're like, no way. You're calling me? I spent tens of thousands with furniture company. One lady told me she paid a million and a half dollars to furnish her mansion in King City, as you know, those big, really big houses. She goes, they didn't, do, didn't even give me an email to ask me how, how this stuff's holding up. Spent a million and a half with them. My whole house is, is with that brand. And you can yeah. assume which brand it is, right? Yeah. And she couldn't believe it. And I called her and she spent 300 bucks on a blanket. And I'm like, hey, like, I know she bought a blanket. Like I'm making a pillow. I know you sleep with a pillow. I just know it's not mine because I don't sell one. But if I were to create a pillow that was perfect for you, what would it have to have? And then what would you pay for it? It's very simple. Oh, it's got to be big. It's got to be small. It's got to feel like a hotel pillow. It's got to be cooling. You know, it's got to have naturally antibacterial. You know, I really like when there's a zipper because I like to wash it. Like you start pulling together all this information. Three weeks later, I said, hey guys, remember what you said? I think I've made it. Check out this prototype. It's got all these features. What do you think? Well, Aaron, I don't like the color. I I know my original pillow was black because Hush is very like black and white. I made it black. They're like, oh, well, it's going to come through the sheets. I'd like for it to be white. Maybe figure out a way to put black on it. Okay, fine. The piping. The piping. Yeah. Came back, sent them another image. What do you think now? Awesome. Wonder what it feels like. Okay, here, send them videos of like cushion. What do you guys think now? Really like it. What would you pay for this? Pay about 140 bucks, 200, 90. You get all these. How are you documenting this? So did you have like, would you putting this into spreadsheet where at the end, I mean, it's one thing to get kind of the qualitative analysis right. and to get a general opinion. But you must have crunched this data to say this percentage of people want this, this percentage yeah. of people want that. All, honestly, so in a Google asked, Sheet. You just you know? Yeah, we just started putting in the data and you would see, like it would formulate your averages. And then when we launched, I would reach back out to those people and I would say, hey, we're ready to go. Let me know if you're going to be one of the people that want first access so would, and buy this. You would this. turn them into buyers. Yeah, like let me know if you want first access. On, on, on the top of that funnel though, why do you think you had such a high response rate of people... Because this wasn't like they had to proactively click that Calendly link and pick their time. So it's not a, like you like why, why did they why do you think they wanted to give you? The, so our time? brand specifically had a face to it. Like we were like in a lot of the marketing. We were on Dragons. Then like we were we're very out there. Our Kickstarter was us in the video. You think it was because they wanted to talk to you? Yeah, because they had seen your personal brand. And and people uh, get the magic in all of our connections are through the storytelling and when people know why we started, when people know that, you know, since the very first day we donate 10% of everything. Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of a magic. You want to kind of be a part of the story. Yeah. And I have this, there's a coffee shop. Actually, you might even know it. It's in New Yorkville. I, I go there, I get a coffee every day and then I go to my office. It's like the same route. Which one? 
you know, the Zaza. I know it. Yeah. You know, well, I know. I know the guy. He's yeah. a very animated yeah. Italian guy. Italian like a very guy, right? Amazing guy, yeah. coffee. Yeah. You know, and but then I would go and I would get an avocado toast from whatever that kitchen is, but it was extra fifteen minutes in my day. So I went to him at Zaza. I said, "Listen, if you put avocado toast on your menu, first of all, I'm going to pay you, but you're going to save me time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's very yeah, 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 yeah. Buy the coffee. You know, much to my surprise, two weeks later, I get there, I see avocado toast on the menu. I go to him, I'm like, I'll take one. Like, not even for free, nothing. Just like he made me it. I ate, it was the worst avocado toast I've ever had. You know, it was really, really bad. Yeah. But I bought it. And the next day I bought it again. It was still really, really bad. And then on the weekend, I told my friends, I'm like, yo, we got to go to Zaza. We got to get a coffee. And you guys all need to buy the avocado toast. Why did you want them all to buy the avocado toast? And that's when my friend goes, he goes, Aaron, what's, what's with this? It's a horrible avocado toast. I said, you know, but like, I had to say, like, he did this. I, I told him to do this and he did it. I asked for it. Not, they didn't even give it to me for free. I asked for it. He did it. And now I feel connected. To, like I only uh-huh. have coffee at Zaza. And all my customers, you know, many of them responded with the same feedback. If you told me, Aaron, make, make the pillow blue, like really casually. And in two months from now, I send you a picture and say, hey, man, just launched. Look at this blue pillow. How are you going to feel? Yeah. It's no stock, no equity. You're going to pay full price, but you feel connected to it. And people miss that magic mm-hmm. in their product. People go and get feedback from people who are not their customers. I know it costs me on average about $100 to get a customer. It costs me about $30 to $40 to get someone to click in to my funnel. So abandon a car, give me some sort of information. Most people go to these third-party groups and call random people for information on how to better service their customers. But you just, you have the customer already speak to them. Seems so obvious. It's this most simplest thing. Like, hey, how, if I were to make your life better, and you know what we did when we launched our mattress, we did the same thing. We launched a mattress in, you know, I think it was six years, officially six or seven years after Casper. And we all know the story of Casper. Yeah. So, we weren't new in this mattress in a box space and we were in the middle of uh, getting acquired by a mattress company. So it was even more risky to launch a mattress and everyone thought, you know, told us don't do it. All the smartest people don't do it. Huge risk, massive product, heavy returns. You have no idea what you're doing. This is a a space that's been around for over a hundred years. Prove it. Simmons is a hundred year old successful mattress company. Stay away, stick with the blankets, stick with the sheets. And we're like, you guys don't understand something. Like (laughs) we've spoken to 7,000 customers on the phone saying, I'm making a bed. I know you sleep on one that's not ours. If I were to make it, what do you want? Much to our surprise, nobody likes memory foam because eventually it canoes. Much to our surprise, people care about having zoned, like having a really posturized support because what happens is your core is heavy and you get like a U shape in the front and on the side, right? So like the middle between you and your partner is like this. You're rolling away from each other. Everyone complains about that. And I was like, okay, if I can solve that, what would you pay? If I can solve that, what would you pay? And we'd update people throughout the whole process. We got screwed by a manufacturer two months before launching. We shared that with them. We're like, guys, oh wow, it's an amazing video. Yeah, I I recorded the call of the manufacturer calling me and saying, you know, competitors have been hearing about what we're up to, and uh, they told me if I work with you that they're going to pull the business away. People were scared. We were like anomalies, and I recorded that, shared it with the community, and said, guys, like we're going to have to push back launch. Like we just lost our manufacturer. And then I shared with them a different manufacturer who wanted to take a chance on us. So they were so invested in building this product when we launched, 
We did a password protected page to everyone that had any part of the journey. It was like four and a half thousand people. We gave them an amazing deal. We said, hey, buy the mattress. We'll give you the, we'll give you the pillows. We'll give you the, everything else for free. Just because you guys helped us. This was insane. We did a million and a half dollars in the launch of that mattress. Like I think it might have been a week or two weeks. And it actually expedited our acquisition because no one believed that we would actually, by the way, zero reviews. It was a $1,900 mattress and there's nowhere you can try it. Think about like how emotionally invested you need to yeah. be to spend $2,000 on something you never even felt. There's a picture on a screen. And most beds online sell for sub a thousand. So, okay. So I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to, I'm really excited about this strategy because I'll tell you why, <laughs> because it seems, I, I'll put it this way. I feel like an idiot because I've been in business for 30 years for not doing this mm-hmm. before 25 years for not doing this because it's so obvious. It's, and, mm-hmm. and I, I think if I haven't been doing it, I think a lot of people aren't doing it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to reach out to the brands where the decision makers on, because those are our transactions. Those are the right. equivalent, you know. So I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to send out a calendar link and I'm going to invite them all to talk to me directly because they know kind of my integration in Valeria's life and story and, right. and the business. And I'm also going to send out, this is going to be a little tough, I'm going to send out a Calendly link to a, a, a relatively small cohort, cohort of her audience to talk to me to tell me what kind of content they want to see. That's what I'm going to do. You've inspired me to do that. And the, you know what the craziest thing is? People do it, but in a lazy way, right? So, you know, in the content world, people will create like a little box. What do you want, what do you want to see from me more? And then they'll have a million messages and they'll like choose the one that they wanted to do anyways, right? right. It's so powerful. Even if you get on a call with like a, a brand or an agency that you guys work with that brings, forget the content of what you guys speak about. Just the, just the fact Absolutely. that you spent 10 minutes with them. Absolutely. Even if you talked about bagels, creates a connection yes and that connection is what drives everything else but you know when you talk about it it, it, it's genius it's not a tactic it really is not a tactic it's it's a genuine connection with the consumer it's a win-win because you are getting intelligence from the consumer exactly what they want and they in turn are getting the product that they need based on their request of you. So look, I know it's to me, I'm dumbfounded because it's so it's it, in my mind, it's so obvious and I feel like an idiot for not doing it up until now. And what everyone's going to say when they're watching this, cause you know, I speak on stages and I tell, I say this exact same yeah. story and they say the exact same question. They say, how is it scalable? Right? How many calls can you do? And what people don't understand is it's not, it doesn't, not everything in your business needs to be scalable. Right. Right. That you can, like I still do calls. Yeah. Right. I do three to ten calls a month, depending on the month. We have a million customers. I'm not speaking to everybody, but that flywheel of staying really in touch and really close with people makes sure that I never get too far away from the people who are actually, you know, supporting this business. And I wanna, I wanna, I wanna kind of reconnect this to the beginning of this segment of the interview, where this came from your mom standing with the little shot glasses of different or used mm-hmm. and she knows she still she like, still does it she's still like if she makes a recipe she'll take it from the kitchen the commissary she'll drive to the nearest store she'll sit there and what do you think and he's a little more of this he's a little more of that okay what do you think and she's strategic right she'll give it to different customers 
because she knows like, oh, you know, okay, I'll give it to one to the older lady. I'll give one to the young girl that's coming in. I'll give one to the gentleman that, you know, is in a rush always. Just, hey, what would you, would you buy it? No, I wouldn't buy it. Not for me. It's good though, but I wouldn't buy it. Okay, cool. And you start to get instant feedback and I still don't understand. One lady I called, I'll never forget this. I called her about the mattress. It was a five minute call. We spoke for an hour. And at the end of the call, uh, she was telling me that she does this for Ford. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm so amazed by the fact that you're calling me. She's like, this is my job for Ford. I'm like, Ford does this? She's like, since day one, Ford is calling customers, asking them about new innovative products. All Ford was, you know, where to put the USB, the USB to your phone in the car was something that she said they spent a year calling customers on. What is the best place for us to put this? I want to ask you something. I understand. I mean, we've talked now thoroughly about um, community building, creating this feedback loop. Obviously, it's essential for business. What do you? What's your take on on branding? On branding? Yeah, just branding overall. I mean, this what we just talked about is a form of branding, but it, and I'll tell you why. Because in our business, we find this sometimes we have this disconnect when an advertiser is. You know, they'll, let's say, contact us and they'll make a statement and they'll say, well, listen, for every dollar I spend, I need to make a dollar 30. And then at mm. that point, I'm like, we're not the correct platform for you <laughs> yeah. because we do, we, you know, we do branding. We help you with your storytelling. We help right. with, you know, aligning your brand, whatever your product or service is with Valeria's personal brand. If you don't right. see value in that, it's not an arbitrage. So there's arbitrage. You were doing arbitrage, you know, with mm-hmm. Revitasize simultaneously with right. brand marketing. But in general, it's rare that a business, you can do, you can do both you know, run profitable ads in real time and get the marketing benefit from it. But what is your take on on branding overall when it comes to business and developing businesses in the context of the e-commerce? Because now you work with founders. You work with founders. You right. incubate companies. You bring right. you you have you know these groups that you're you're forming. Yep. So you're going much deeper into e-commerce. You know, from from your own career, like with your own career. Talk to me about kind of branding versus you know performance marketing and arbitrage. Branding is the bubble that you create around all of the data analysis, the actual marketing hacks, the email branding actually is the tide. And when you don't have it, it's like the tide, the tide like, goes out. The tide, yeah. yeah. And when you don't have branding and momentum, the tide goes out and your boat, your boat, your business is stuck Yeah, and you're trying all these heavy lifting things, you know, unique ads and hacks and all these arbitrages. And you're, you're getting into this like, really lower my price, go 50% off because it's tough to move the boat in a low tide when you're stuck on the rocks. When you have a really high quality brand. Sorry, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And then the tide comes back in then you start to get momentum. Yeah. And now the boat is easy to move around. You can go wherever you want. And even if you go the wrong way, you can turn and go back because the branding gives you a moat. And what it, what it does from a money perspective is it lowers your CPM. Yes. It lowers your return rate. It increases CPM, your sorry, retention. It's, it's cost per thousand. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, or even CPA, which is the cost per acquisition yes. to acquire a new customer, it yes. lowers all of your costs. It actually then makes, if you have staff and you have employees, it makes their life easier, which increases their happiness, which makes them feel really important. Yes, yes. The whole flywheel benefits when you have a brand that's providing you the tide, the momentum. And when people don't focus on their brand yeah. over a longer period of time, because on day one, nobody cares about your brand. And on day maybe 100, still nobody cares about your brand. But on day 5,000, everything you invest in your brand pays off. And most people don't have the patience 
to wait that period of time. With Hush, did you do brand advertising? Nonstop. So we, I bought during the pandemic when nobody was advertising in hockey arenas because nobody was in hockey arenas. Mm-hmm. I got a call from the Montreal Canadiens and they're like, hey, do you want to sponsor these the seats? They used to cover the yep. seats. They don't know. They didn't know. Like the guy gave us an incredible deal. They were in last place at the time. So we got it for one tenth of the price and we bought the domain in hush.ca. So all I put was hush.ca on there. Mm-hmm. No one even knew what that was. Right. But every time the puck would go behind Carey Price, we'd see like the traffic go up. <laughs> it, was really cra- it was that crazy. And they ended up going to the finals that year during the pandemic. So we did like st- stuff like that. I wrapped every streetcar in Toronto with blankets, like literally wrapped them, looked like it was a blanket on them. I bought bus stops. We did, we were all in on building the brand because when we knew what happened was copycats would come about. Yeah. And when we started, I said there was only two or three weighted blanket sellers at, as of now and also as of a year or two ago, there's 73,000 active sellers mm-hmm. that, that list a weighted blanket. That's a huge amount of competitors. Yep. And you know what everyone's trying to do? Lower the price, lower the price. You they're can go to Target right now. on price, yeah. You go to Target and buy a weighted blanket for sub 50 bucks. How do you as an advertiser... And how would you advise other, whether they're any business, not just e-commerce, how do you advise them, how do they reconcile spend on market on, you know, the you're smiling because you know where, I'm, where yeah. I'm going with this. How do you reconcile the spend on brand advertising when you, you can't, re, how do you measure goodwill, the goodwill that it creates? Because that's, mm-hmm. that's, at the end of the day, you know, brand advertising, it, it's what you're getting at the, your output is goodwill. Right, which you can't measure. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm be, I'm I'm asking this selfishly because yeah, you're trying because to because s- even for our advertisers, that's what we're giving them. We're giving them the fact that you know if Valeria makes a video wearing an article of clothing and it gets a million views, they're not tracking conversion, and rightfully so, they shouldn't really be looking at conversion. But how do you measure goodwill and how do you reconcile the expense when you can't have data behind? So there's there's two answers, right? So one is the the technical answer, which is how can I properly attribute this form of media spend back to some form of ROI? Yes. It's really what the question is, Absolutely. right? And the easier that you can, or in general, people can do that, the more justifiable the expenses. So that is if you have a really experienced marketing professional on your team, which a lot of these brands should or do have, you should not be looking at every dollar that goes out with some sort of return that you deem your business needs. What should actually be happening is there should be an overarching MER, which is the marketing efficiency ratio. The overall amount of money that we're spending, what is our revenue in return? And within your MER, let's just say a million dollars. Okay, let's just say that's your spend for the month. You're going to spend a million dollars. It could be any number. What percentage am I allocating to meta ads, TikTok ads, Google ads, and partnerships, billboards, influencer marketing, (laughs) all of them, newsletters, so many different things, events. A lot of companies are doing like these events, these dinners, right? There's so many different forms of marketing. The team needs to come together and say, this is how we're cutting up our our bucket. And the issue that happens is people don't cut the bucket. They just have this bucket. And then they say, all right, team, take this million and make me three, four, five, whatever the number is. So then every initiative is built on that dollar gets to give me four. That dollar has to give me four. But in some cases, 
the way we look at it, which is why it's called MER, the total efficiency ratio of the bucket, is sometimes I'm going to have things in that bucket that get me 10. And then some things are going to get me half, half a one. But as a whole, the bucket is growing. Yeah. And there's an efficiency ratio that I'm comfortable with. So I know I, I sponsored the Habs. On the very first day, it was the worst investment ever because I made no money and they're last place. They suck. But then they go to the finals. That's all free. They're like, and the NHL decides to make Canada play Canada because of during COVID, make US play US. So now I'm like only getting Canadian views. The Leafs, they take the Leafs to game seven and win. I could never have predicted that. And then all of a sudden, all my other stuff starts overperforming. Yeah. And everyone gets excited. But as on, if, the, on the stuff you can measure, like the CPA, CPM. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden, my ads team is crushing course, it. And, everyone, and yeah. everyone's crushing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But that was a waste of money when I spent 150 grand on something that gets me unattributable revenue. But as a whole, our marketing bucket, again, the tide was lifting. So that's like, you need to under have a like an analytical view to it. And the team needs to go in and say, as a whole, what is our return? And you need to pull, push and pull. And a lot of people forget really marketing basics. Your top of funnel, yep. your bottom of funnel. And without a brand, your top of funnel is going to be very weak. Very. And everyone else, so like your... Well, then your, all the data gets... It, 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 I mean, it goes from top of funnel down. All the data is going to be weak. And I view it like a wet towel. A <laughs> so, wet towel. I'd love and, to hear the wet towel analogy. <laughs> so the top of funnel is the water that goes on. To the, the funnel is the towel. Okay. Top of funnel is the water. Mm -hmm. And if you keep pouring water on the towel, you guys all know a wet towel. It's just constantly yielding out yeah. water, right? And the bottom of the funnel, the team, this is usually, the, the team usually focuses bottom of the funnel because that's like the most attributable revenue. They're constantly ringing You're it out. about conversion. Yeah, yeah. right. Because that's, I mean, you know, your email guy is taking revenue, your, your website guy is taking revenue, your CRO, your whole team is, their job is to wring out the towel. That's what everyone does. And then they say, look, I did this and I made this. I did this and I made this. No one wants to sit at the top because that's unattributable revenue. The water's dropping at the bottom. And your top of funnel, your influencer marketing, your billboards, your TV campaigns, that's the water. And the less you put on the top, the harder you need to wring out the bottom to get a drop. And eventually, we've all done this with a towel that has nothing left, it just gets stuck. Yeah. And then everyone dies. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, no, I get it. And you need, and then everyone panics. There's nothing left and you're just wringing it out. How do you, okay, so here, I have another question for you. And again, these, these are all pretty selfish questions. How do you understand if the rate that you're paying for branding for this top of funnel kind of branding expense, how do you know it's the correct thing? Because unlike, unlike yeah. an AdWord, an AdWord uh, bid where you see who's bidding and the bids are what the bids are and the pay-per-click is what, the, what it is, when someone comes to you, like when we go to a client, mm -hmm. I keep bringing this back to me because this is my current kind of frame of reference. But when we go to a, you know, when somebody calls us and say, hey, we want a reel and we say, well, this is how much it is for Valeria's reel. Yeah. How do they know if it's a good, like, how do they know if it's correct? <laughs> You're going to hate this answer. Wow. It is what it is. <laughs> You're going to hate it. But it's the truth, yeah. at least from what I know. What brands do is probably what the creators do. The second I get a price, from someone, yeah. the first thing I do is send it to the four people they just worked with and say, am I getting scammed? Yes or no. And you would be surprised how many times I find yeah. influencers are inconsistent in their pricing. 
So I have a comment on that. <laughs> I have a comment on that. And this actually, I'll be teaching this in, in yeah. our academy. And this is the, from the from day one, what did I do? I created a media kit with standardized pricing. This is what, this is what and we charge. What, and that's, that's it. Here's our pricing. Because I find that what happens is as a brand, mm-hmm. when you contact, an in, when we're talking about influencers, when you contact an influencer and say, hey, hey, you know, how much for a reel? Like how much to do a reel? And they respond with an email saying this is how much it is for a reel. I don't think that's a good experience for the advertiser because they're looking at it and they're saying to themselves, well, because I'm so-and-so advertiser and I have this profile, if I'm like a high-end brand, like right. not even a high-end brand, like a well-known brand, so they're charging me based on what the influencer is quoting me based on what on what they think I yeah, can pay. Yeah, bigger brand, must have more money, right. Whereas pay me more. once yeah. you put it in a PDF, right. it's in a PDF, and I don't change the prices. I, I show it to people and say, this is yeah. what our prices are. I feel that that helps. It helps. The consistency is so, so important. You know, and also there's one thing, again, that creators do, and I pay attention to it very, very closely, is they act different when they want the product, mm. right? So if it's a product where, you know, perhaps they're buying it already, there's a lot of times where like I get a, you know, we get an email from an influencer saying, hey, I already bought your stuff and I'm loving it and I'm, I just love it so much. I'd love to make content with it now that I have it. You know, I normally charge this, but this is what I'm going to charge you. You know, I had actually happened to me two days ago. I had a creator my team reached out to. They got hit back with a whatever number. And I'm like, oh, I know that creator. My buddy just, let me just call my buddy. I sent to my buddy, I'm like, what'd you pay? He's like, oh, they really wanted the product. It was free. I gave the product. I, I didn't even give them the product. I, gave the, I loaned the product for 30 days and gave me lifetime this. And oh, it's just an incredible deal. And... Not only is it annoying, because I'm like, well, why would you, what, why, you don't like my brand? Like, <laughs> you don't like my product, you know? And then they go, oh, things have changed. So the inconsistency yeah. is really, really difficult. You're not, you're not dealing with businesses, right? You're dealing with individuals. Yeah, but meta, like, if, for example, if you want to buy a billboard, mm-hmm. let's just say it's a billboard there. Yeah. We both email them for a billboard. We're getting the same price. Yeah. Absolutely. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter no, who I am. You're, because you're dealing with a company, an actual company who, right. you know what I mean? Whereas when you're calling an influencer with X amount of millions of followers, that's not a company typically. In our case, it's a company. We're an 18-person organization and we have standardized right. pricing. But for the most part, when you're contacting, especially like a, you know, maybe a, like an influencer in like the tens of thousands of followers or right. hundreds of thousands, it's them and an assistant. So if, if you can't expect consistency from a person who's a creative by trade and kind of moonlighting as a business person to broker their own deals. So the the energy then becomes in the space. It's negative. It's not only negative, but that I could get a better deal if I negotiate. Right. So now our teams are in charge of negotiating. Right. So it doesn't matter what you send me now, we're negotiating. Mm-hmm. Right? And depending if they're having a good month, a bad month, of course. if they like the product. So that makes it really, like, so what do, what do we determine, you know, for us? Again, up until a certain point, you know, sub 100,000 followers, we should, like in our mind, our ethos is we should be able to try and get a product exchange, mm-hmm. right? And we pay attention when they're moving and stuff like that. But I find it so, it's equally as difficult, I find, for creators to determine what their pricing should be. And it's even harder for brands to determine what the pricing should be. No, I, look, I, <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you. My comment, I was going to, I was just, I had a thought that I was going to share with you. Yeah, look, it's in, you know it's inconsistent. You know what if you if you look at it as compared to let's say 
let's say display advertising or mm-hmm. keyword advertising, it's a bidding system. So you made a comment exactly. that when, you know, if it's a lower, like if they're not having such a great month, they'll be willing to do it for a lower rate. That's kind of like a bidding right. system where, yeah, I mean, and I, and I will tell you that, that yeah, if, if someone's coming in and they want to do like a multifaceted campaign and it's a slower time, I have like we have to as a company do it, like I call it yield management, right? Like we're managing kind of there's a but lot do of you ever this is it. actually a really good question. Yeah. Do you ever say, okay, it's a little bit of a slower time, right? Sure. Let's just choose a month. Yeah, I mean there's a slow month. Or maybe you know this month is slow every year. Yeah. Right? There's I'm sure there's consistency. Do you ever go, okay, this is gonna be a slow month. We already know this. Let's make a package for the slower month. If, reach out to our advertisers and say, if you buy anything within this month, you're going to get a reduced rate because that's what everyone else does. That's not a right? bad idea. However, so what I found now, we've been doing this for seven years, so I yeah. kind of know what the cycles are and the cycles are that there are no cycles. <laughs> There's no cycles. <laughs> so then you never you, have to do it. I'll yeah. tell you, well, no, I'll tell you why, yeah. because I could have what I think is a perceived low month, let's say, and we're on the 15th. We get a call on the 16th with somebody saying, we need a campaign right. in three days. We have X amount of dollars and they're, and a lot of the times they'll come to us and they'll say, hey, like, this is our budget. Can you do it? And this is our budget for you. And then we'll look at our prices. And there have been times when we'll say, look, like, thank you. They're saying we want this, this, and this. And this is, this is what we'll pay for you. This is what we'll pay you when they look at kind of Valera's data. And then we look at our media kit. Yeah. And then we'll say, you know what? Like, it's actually more. So right. we're going we're gonna to throw in an additional right. piece of content for you to fill your budget. Yeah. So it's it's hard to predict in this industry. But that's smart. You're running a business. You're saying, because eventually they're going to get your media kit, and then you'll be like, wait, I could have got it for less. But if you go and you add it's deliverables. Not it. It's not worth it to discredit ourselves. Right. Right? You know? So, look, But you, you're you running should. a business behind it, and that's the biggest. Most time we're dealing with, you know, creators. There's a side, most likely it's a side hustle. There's a lot of, it, like, informalities to it. Yeah. And it's, it actually <clears throat> becomes more challenging for the brand yeah. to do deal with scatteredness you don't get the deliverables on time right. like there's a there's there really is an informality yeah. to almost to the point where what we started doing is we would rent the studio and like bring creators in and be like we have everything set up you're gonna shoot and we're gonna guarantee that we're gonna get the content because we're we're handling everything for yeah, you and that's not that's not a bad idea i think there's different I think there's different creators and I think there's different levels of creators. Right. You know, so we we have brands sometimes calling us and saying, hey, look, we want to fly Valeria to this location. We want to do a shoot. And we're like, okay, here's our daily rate for shooting. Here's our daily rate for travel. You have to cover this and this and this and this. So it's kind of like, but you're not going to get that out of a no. creator with, at, that's at a smaller scale. That Look, at the end of the day, it's somewhat of a Cowboys and Indian situation where it's right. kind of all over the place. Because what's happened is, you, so here's what's happened. Here's, right. here, I want to articulate it. And it, I'm happy that we're getting into this conversation. It's mm-hmm. not the typical conversations I have, but yeah. because you and I have like a lot of kind of shared expertise, it's, yeah. it's actually a fun discussion. When you look at marketing pre the creator economy and pre creators, right. <clears throat> what you have is you have companies purchasing ads um, and it's a st- it's standardized pricing. A lot of it is based on bidding. Right. A lot of it is based on just like traditional ads, like ad costs for like billboards and stuff like that. But then you had back in before creators were creators, before like it was defined as influencers, you had, let's say, the Michael Jordan deal, which I'm right. sure you saw the movie, Air, exactly. right? That was a negotiation, right? right? So now what's happening is back then you only had, you had a much smaller pool of creators or influencers right. that had enough scale 
And so those deals were happening and they were like the deals happening now where there's no structure to them. It's like, right. Whatever Michael Jordan's mom is saying, I want a piece of the sneaker. I want to, yeah. like, you're crazy. And then it yeah. went this whole, ba- you saw the movie, right? Right. And they had this whole back and forth. And so now what's happened. So th- there were few of those conversations because there were very few people like the Tom Cruises of the world. You're young. I think you're old enough yep. to know who that is. Yep. Um, that was more of a shot at myself for being old than a shot right. at you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that now what's happening is because technologies come in and now everybody has the ability to make a brand deal, even if they only have 5,000 followers, that kind of weird negotiation like that the that Michael Jordan's mom had with Nike, now that's happening at scale in kind of like these micro situations across the board. So that's what you're seeing in the industry. And I don't know if it'll ever change. Whenever you have a personal brand, a celebrity of any kind, and you have a brand that wants access, you can't define that price. Right. You can't define the value of it. So it's always going to be it's this. difficult. It's difficult, but it's the nature of... It's the way the business it's, is. It's the way yeah. it is. I've tried to, for ourselves, to try to... Because I come from more, like, I've had, like, more, you know, kind of like definable pricing and, and all that throughout my career and the right. businesses that I've had. So I've tried to apply it here, but it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge because Very nobody, nobody, it's difficult. I want to move on to a couple of things. I want to talk about, it's funny because I'm looking over the questions that I, that, I, that, that I have and most of them like we just kind of organically got into it. <laughs> but I want to talk about, I want to talk about the sale of your company. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you sold to Sleep Country. Sleep Country, is it, is it, it's not only Canada. It's here too. It's, it's only Canada. I mean, the Americans know like an equivalent would be like mattress firm. Mattress firm. Yeah. Which I just bought my mattresses. When I moved into this house, from yeah, there. yeah, because they're down the street. I just yeah, they're at every every corner. They're on every yeah, corner. Yeah, so it's like sleep countries the same um, in Canada. Tell me about, tell me about this deal. Tell me about like what what happened. Like how did this come about? So, we were a friend of mine calls me and he's like, hey, so we were on Dragons Den. And yes. He says, hey, you know, there's a a Jewish fundraising event in Montreal happening, and they're kind of recreating Dragons Den. They call it Lions Den. But okay. it's live audience. It's not very original, but okay. Yeah, I know. Live audience. They yeah. put like, you know, five super, you know, wealthy and influential people as the lions. Yeah. They put 350 people in the crowd. Five startups came. Including uh, you. Including us. And they said, you're going to pitch Wait, live. You weren't a startup already. You were, what mean? We were, this was 2019. So we we're about a year, year and okay, a half okay. in. Sorry, 2020. January of 2020. And I was like, cool. You know, we were the onesies. We came in. Sorry, I, sorry, sorry. Do you think COVID helped you i think it did yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't an insane like help to our business it for was sure not or it, it was it was yeah. yeah like people were staying home they wanted to be cozy you're staying home you got a ton of money and and, and you know you're anxious the way the yes. blankets are incredible for insomnia and anxiety okay so okay. please continue sorry so yeah. we were there so this is this is before covid right this is january covid's happening in march and this is the night actually kobe died Okay. So it was like everyone, there was like already like a weird vibe going on. So we're in Montreal. We go up on stage. We do our thing. I bring my parents in. Like it was actually really fun. It was 300 live crowd and the crowd got to vote on like who had the best pitch. But you weren't actually pitching because you wanted funding. This was more. Uh, I mean, we we were open, you know, we were like early days. We were like, you know, we didn't want funding, but we would take it, you know, and it was awesome. It was like the president of Michael Kors. It was like just an incredible group they brought together. But the guy from Poker Stars was there. It was just such an amazing crowd. And Anyways, we pitched and we won the best pitch and we got like some form of donation, but then you donate it. And some guy like, you know, everyone comes up to you after and tries to meet you. It was a bunch of business people there, right? 
And one guy comes up to us. He's like, hey, I don't have anything for you, but you got to meet my friend. You know, my friend loves sleep stuff. So you got to meet my friend. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Here's my email. You know, there's like, we're just dishing out emails. And he makes an intro to this guy named Stuart. We see Stuart. We see Dorme Vu. I know, I know who Stuart is. Okay, yeah. Yeah. We see Dorme Vu in his email. Dorme Vu is like, again, mattress firm in Quebec. It's like a sleep company in Quebec. So our first thought is we're going to sell, we're going to get them to carry the blankets. We're going to do a wholesale deal. We're going to make money on this. So we were supposed to be in person and a couple of weeks before our meeting, COVID kind of happens in person's off the table. He pushes us out a little bit. We end up meeting on zoom. We get on this meeting with zoom and we have no idea like who he actually is. We just assumed like, you know, they have, they have a bunch of locations in Quebec. We're going to sell them. So we're pitching the blanket like crazy. You know, we got to have it. It's the best selling thing. And he kind of looks at us and realizes we don't know who he is. So, <laughs> you know, so he's kind of like, do you guys know who you're talking to? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we saw you're the president of Dormevu. And he's like, you should like Google. Like you guys should do a little bit more research. Uh, and it turns out he was the president of Sleep Country, which owns Dormevu. And he started Dormevu and Sleep Country bought his business, yep. you know, like years ago. And the eventual CEO and we were just telling him all about our business. And he's like, just enamored by the growth. You know, we went from 700K to $10 million. We're projecting 25 million in that year, like just straight beeline growth. And we just kind of became friends. And like two weeks, you know, two months later, we got on another call and it was kind of like a mentorship thing. We we're telling him about our business. We end up moving to like Tulum for a couple of months because we wanted to get out of the COVID mess. We wanted to like work out and be outside. He was just amazed by the whole thing. We did the Montreal Canadian deal. He's from Montreal. And then there was a moment where he like, we were on one of those calls and he looks at us and he's like, so what are we doing here? Like, are we just going to do mentorship or are we going to buy the business? Wow. <laughs> and we're like, do you want to buy the business? <laughs> and he's like, do you want to sell the business? And I was like, well, not all of it, because like I'm still really bullish on it. We're only in like the early year. He's like, well, why don't you guys decide what you want to do? Very quickly, we decided, yes, we want to sell the business. This is an incredible partner. Like they have the largest distribution channel. Like this is it. This is, and we loved him. Yeah, you know, he was such a special guy. He cared so much about us, sure. and we started putting up billboards, like you know, up, up and around his house in Montreal. Like we really wanted to like push this forward, and the brand was just scaling uncontrollably like we were a sure shot for 25 million or third year and we ended up just really talking through it and then halfway through it he looked at us and he's like boys like if we're gonna do this he's like i know you've never done anything like this we've never sold a business before he's like we're gonna put a peg in the, in the ground and say we're doing this and then it's gonna get a little messy there's gonna be lawyers and stuff like that but like it's gonna start and we said okay like we don't know what that means he's like we'll go find a lawyer because you're going to need one. And we're like, oh my God. So right away we start calling people. We get an M&A lawyer and it was like six months of back and forth. It was actually really, really difficult. Sure. One of the most, um, the most difficult, like mentally six months of my life because you try to go through a negotiation. You try to sell, you know, sell your business. You have to run your business at the same time. The business was going up, but then the summer was weird. It was just like we had a down summer for no reason. And at any moment, we're like, it's all over. Oh, my God, it's going to happen. It's all over. Oh, my God, I'm, it's going to happen. I, I, I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah I, I and a, yeah. like I 
at one point, like, you know, you, you, I would cry all night and I'd wake up in the morning and he'd be like, how's it going guys? So excited for this deal. And I'm like, Oh my God, no, it's still going to happen. You know? And it was really, really difficult, but he was even till today, like I've learned how to, he's actually made me more of, of a man because everything he said, he said early days, like when I, when I say it, it's real, you know? Cause we're like, sign the document, like blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, no guys, like, I said, it's happening. It's happening. Don't have to worry. And no matter how difficult things got, he stuck to it. And I've become more like that. When I say things to people, I mean it. And I used to not, I used to say whatever. Sometimes it sticks. Sometimes it doesn't stick. He's taught me during those really difficult six months. And it was like due diligence. I had PwC. I didn't even know what PwC meant or was. Mm -hmm. They're auditing my warehouse. They're counting things. I'm freaking out. Just for everybody to understand, PwC is PricewaterhouseCooper. They're an auditing, they're actually an auditing Auditing firm. And I have like six quants in the office. They're like, your inventory, we have 20,000 units. Your inventory is off by five. Why? I'm like, I don't don't know. Maybe the guy lost, they're like, well, what's your procedure for counting inventory? And I'm like, I don't have a procedure. You don't Just have a procedure. Go in the warehouse. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't have a procedure. Maybe it's a software. Well, what was the software? Like so, and they're so smart. They're so good at oh. what they do. Oh yeah. And I'm. I just told you guys for the last hour or whatever that I'm marketing, branding, not backend like operations. And no matter what, he always stuck by us and supported us. And you know, it was it turned out to be a really incredible deal. But we were very lucky because. We turned down PE opportunities, mm-hmm. private equities, and like other people that were interested in buying the business. And they were interested in buying or funding? Buying the business. Outward. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we took over the city. Yeah. We were on every bus. We were everywhere. When you say the city, where were most of your sales coming from? Toronto. Because it's interesting because yeah. you could have shipped your products anywhere. You chose to brand yourself as a Canadian company service in Canada, which arguably is. I mean, it's a small market. I mean, yep. I mean you, 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 you crushed it, obviously, but why not go after the United States? It depends on the brand goals, right? So like, well, no one, like Sleep Country, for example, publicly traded, you can see how they do a you know, billion dollars a year just in Canada. We wanted to sell 50, 60 million dollars a year. That was our goal at the time. Yeah. We knew we could easily do that in Canada. You know, now we're building for a hundred million dollar business that now we have to layer in the US market. So, and it's, I always find it's so much easier to sell where you are, mm-hmm. right? And so many times American brands that come to Canada, you know, it's a big country, but not a, like population, what, 37 million ounce, but it's the distribution super difficult. Very There's different difficult. zones. Quebec is a country within the Sorry, country. You said, yeah, that's, a whole <laughs> you other, that's a whole other political discussion. <laughs> You're too young to remember referendum. I still remember referendum. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. So back in 1994, around there, I was in college. I, I went to Western, and uh, Quebec wanted to separate from the rest of the country. Oh yes, I remember. Yes, you don't remember. You heard of it. Like <laughs> I remember learning about it what, in school. What year were you, <laughs> like elementary great, school. Thanks. <laughs> what year were you born? 95. 95. So this was before you were born. Yes, I learned about I it. I remember. Yeah. I remember watching on like live television. We had televisions. Uh, we didn't have internet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, back then, and I remember watching on television the whole referendum where the people in Quebec were voting on whether or not they wanted to separate from the country. But not to get into a political discussion and take mm-hmm. too much of a tangent, they wanted to separate, have their own yep. country. It was going to f- geographically divide Canada. 
Yep. Right? Because you still have all of Eastern Canada, you know, east of Quebec. Yep. So those going to geographically divide the country. They wanted to keep the military and they wanted to stiff the rest of the country on the national deficit. So I remember seeing that and thinking, oh my God. And it it was a very close margin. 51% it of people really close, yeah. said, we're going to stay in Canada. Was that during Trudeau, I think? <sighs> Trudeau Sr., yeah. Senior. I believe yeah. so, yeah. The, I'd have to that. check the books, but yeah. So that's... Anyway, so, ba- you're, so back but to the But that energy still exists within Quebec. That divide. Yeah. And that's why it's... The reason why I say it's a country within a country, not even for political reasons, Culturally. is... Culturally. Absolutely. It's completely different people. Absolutely. Right? I mean, in the U.S., you have that. You have different states are also completely different people. Well, when I, well, this, don't, don't get me started on that. <laughs> the states, every, like, to me, every, every town is state, different. Every, every town, yeah. like every state, I feel like it's its own universe, like, yeah. culturally. But in Canada, but in Canada, you know, you, you, you made a statement. It's funny because people from, from here, you know, when I say a Canadian, they right away, oh, Montreal is so beautiful. I'm like, yeah. yeah, but that's just Montreal. Like, that's there's a whole just other. Montreal. You know, yeah. But you, you, you just mentioned something when I asked where your sales came from. You said specifically, actually, Toronto, not just Canada. Yeah. So the well, highest country. Ontario is is the, the the largest province in the entire country, yes. and then Toronto GTA is the highest concentration of those people. Yes. So it is the biggest market in the entire country. So what's amazing to me? So a couple of things I want to make note of yeah. for the people listening, and you know, I'm just I'm curious to get your take on it. You started your e-commerce business that the definition of an e-commerce business is that it is not like geographically to to mm-hmm. a certain degree. The fulfillment part has a large geographic dependency in terms of logistics, reverse logistics, getting the product back when there's returns. Right. So, but e-commerce, when people think of e-commerce, they think global. I can be global right away. You kind of took what I think would be traditional thinking around e-commerce and you said, no, 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 no. Not only am I going to go national, I'm going to go in Toronto. So those ads that you're talking about, all those keyword ads and everything, you're hyper local. Like you're still yeah. back taking a, a page from the chapter of Revita size. Mm-hmm. You're 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 honing in on postal codes. You're honing in on postal codes and also the way you're targeting, right? So you know most most of my competitors would target weighted blankets, right? Yeah. So. You would you would search weighted blankets or weighted everything weighted blankets. Even American companies would come in. They would buy weighted blankets. They'd make ads. Weighted blankets. Weighted blankets near you. Whatever. Um, but who wants that? You know. Imagine what is this called? Like North Miami or something like that. You this, know. This is like this is Midtown. Midtown, Midtown guys? right? Yeah. Okay. So let's say you were searching for a table. This beautiful table over here, wooden table. You're searching for it. Mm-hmm. You see an ad for Midtown Miami. Wooden tables versus wooden tables in Miami. Midtown Miami is going to catch your eye because, well, I'm probably close. I can probably get it, maybe easy returns, easy service. Yeah. I'm more inclined, right? And what we did is we hyper focused on regions. So it was like weighted blankets in Toronto. That's what people want easy returns, easy yeah. shipping. So it's like, it's the same way that I would do. Any business, even the businesses that I'm involved in, you know, like even like CPG products, like we want to be in Whole Foods nationwide. It's like, but no one knows you in LA. You are in New Why York. Why would they buy from you if you, you have no, Whole yeah. Foods in LA? Yeah. So you need to focus. So we would go Toronto. It wasn't even Toronto. We'd go like downtown core, GTA, and then you get natural like trickle effect into all these places. But we'd focus and then we'd go to Calgary. Yeah. Okay, we can let's win Calgary. Let's make content for Calgary. Yeah. Let's get influencers in Calgary. Let's get creative. Then we went. The Habs was a part of our initiative to get into Quebec. Can't just run ads in Quebec. No one knows who you are, right? So we built a French site. We went. We sponsored the Habs. We supported it with ads. Yeah. We had billboards. We focused. 
in Quebec. And then of course you start to see traction there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have easy access online, but it's still the same core principles of you need to go in, infiltrate the region, be consistent, have everyone see you. You know, we do really well now. I mean, now we sell in the US. We do really, really well in California. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hot state, we sell cooling products, everything's organic, like, you know, that it works. And one of our growth marketers was like, we don't really do like that well in California. We do really good, like, you know, the Palisades, mm-hmm. we do really good in that area. Wow. So like, why don't we get like influencers from that area, creative from that area, like stick to that area. There'll be natural growth from it. Get the billboards that surround that area and you hone in and you focus and then you expand from there. That's wild. I mean, it's it's incredible that you had the, I guess, the the entrepreneurial maturity and the discipline that knowing you can cast a wide net and you can go kind of, you can go shallow within each wide geographic, mm-hmm. but you decided to go deep into specific geographics. So I, I commend you on that. It, it's incredible. the only way to actually have performance marketing. You need to be a sniper, right? right. You need to look at a thousand people and do whatever you can to be like, okay, from this group of a thousand, who are the three most likely to buy what I'm about to sell? Right. And if your goal is to like, you know, spray and pray and try to get everybody. And then like naturally those people, it's very expensive, mm-hmm. very expensive. You know, imagine there's a thousand people. And I said, there's three people in the thousand that are going to buy from you. If your method is to sit down and talk with every single one of them, yeah. it's gonna be a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. But our method is let's find the ones that are like wearing the, the specific type of, you know, bracelet, because that's the, we, the people where we like, like that bracelet. So yeah. let's find them and then we'll just go right to them. We'll have three Amazing. conversations. Amazing. And that's what we want to do in business. It's so easy to, it's so easy to kind of go down this road. It's like a slippery slope when we start talking about business and tech and e-commerce and marketing, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm so ingrained in that world. And as are you, but I want to, I want to kind of shift the focus a little bit and go back to the sale. So mm-hmm. I want you to tell me about like when the actual wire hit the, hit your bank account. Like oh. how did that oh. moment look like for you? Oh man, we can you? get into a whole manifestation here. So like on day one, we started the business leader and I said we'd sell it. We knew exactly how much we'd sell it for and we actually knew who we would sell it to. And we were right about it all. We didn't know how. Right. But we were very, very locked in. And Sleep Country actually bought a business a few years in 2018. So the year we, we started called Endy. And we, I remember Andy. we were obsessed with that business and the founder of that business, a remarkable individual, just so, so smart. We were, we were just huge fans, but we studied everything about it and we were very clear in our, like, I'm a scripter and you know what that means? No. So I script the future in real time. I think it's a hyperbole for me to say every day, but three to four days a week religiously yeah. for, for years. What what is what is the action of scripting? What does that so mean? So I'd sit down, you know, close my eyes, do a med- meditation, do none of that, just sit down. And I would say, okay, you know, for example, I do this every year. I close my eyes and I'll say, okay, December of 2024, this year, what does my life look like? And some people will go, I have a car, I have a house, I have a girlfriend, I have a wife, like very basic. I write it as if it's the presence. So like, you know, I'm walking down, <clears throat> I'm walking down, you know, midtown. I'm going to go visit, you know, my friend Gary. We're going to go grab a Pura, Pura Vida. We're going to talk about, you know, this business thing coming back, you know, going to get into my, my G-Wagon, go grab lunch with Hannah. I'm going to take a couple of business calls. I'm feeling really enlightened. My parents are coming in this week. It's going to be awesome. They're going to stay with me. I'm getting really clear 
about. But you're getting detailed too. This is just these aren't aren't macro events in your life. You're getting day to day micro scripting. And then the end of that, of all those things I'm saying, I'm then describing the feeling. So I I had such an amazing time on on Gary's podcast. Like I've I left. I feel so enlightened. I have a new friend. Knowing that I can meet new people makes me really like confident in myself that I can go and meet new people and make new friends anywhere. And that feeling, I'm getting trapped in that feeling. So we would do that with the business. We say, you know, we sell the business and I'm going to go buy my mom her dream car and like she's going to cry and it's going to be such an amazing moment. I'm going to buy it on her 60th birthday. Everyone's going to be there. I'm going to surprise her. And like, it's going to be a life moment. And I would write that over and we're going to sell. It's going to be an incredible thing. Leo and I are going to, you know, we're going to have this special moment where we're going to hug and it's going to be a bond that we're going to have for the rest of our life. And then that feeling of, of connection, knowing that we can take risk and do this together gives me motivation to do everything I'm doing. And that feeling, so I, I'm, I'm connecting to that energy. I do this all the time. You literally do this all the time. I, do, I still to this day, all the time. And people, like I've got books of me writing it in, sometimes long, sometimes Sorry, short. You're, you're not just thinking it, you're actually... I'm writing it. So You're like pre-journaling. Yeah. Is that I'm, what you, is it something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's called scripting. You're scripting a future moment. But you're doing it how far in advance, like that, that well, day? you asked me, you know, getting, you know, selling the business, I would script the sale of the business, but like to the finite detail where I was like, I'm going to get a check. I'm going to go to this specific location. I put in the address 1430. I don't even know it. 1430 Center Street, which is the, my TD bank where I would go and I remember they would denied us for loans. Like we had a lot of issue with this. We're dividing. I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to find the young, there's going to be a young teller there, young girl. I'm going to go, I'm going to wait for her. Even if someone else calls me, I'll let the next guy go. I'm going to wait for her and I'm going to give her the check. I'm going to tell her to deposit it into my account. And she's going to like have a white face, call in her manager. And like, I scripted this to the point where when we sold the business, they said, Hey, send the wire details. I said, no, I don't want a wire. I want to check. They're like, we don't do checks. It's very risky. Like, we have to do it as a draft. You can't just walk around with this. You have to have security. Like, you can't. Guys, I want to check. No draft. I want to check. Like, it's going to be two weeks. I'll wait two weeks. I want the check. And my lawyer had to, like, escort me. He's like, dude, I'm now in charge. Why are you you doing this to me? I'm like, give me the check. And much to my surprise, I get the check. I go to that location. Of course, there's a young girl. What are the odds yeah. sitting there? I, no one else is there though. So I go right for her. I give her the check. She does the exact reaction. I imagine she brings the manager over. The manager was the manager that denied me for my loan like four or five years ago prior with Revita. She goes, what's this for? You know, it doesn't matter what it's for. And she's what a like, question. what do you mean? What's this yeah, for? Like what's like, how, what, how does this even happen? Like, you know? And then in the same moment I envision like, okay, give me exactly this amount. I'm going to go buy my mom, like her dream car. Got a draft, went right to the dealership. Bought, you know, like what was the I, car? I bought her the Range Rover that she always wanted. Yeah. You know, I know uh, she wanted the Sport, Sport with the yeah. red guts and the white out. Like she was very, very specific wow. of what she yeah. wanted. Surprised her on her 60th birthday. But you know, Leo and I, when we sold it, people always ask, "What did you guys do? Did you celebrate? Did you party?" And I remember just like you know, it was actually underwhelming. We're just like, "Yeah, man, good job." Give each other a hug. And a week later, I had Shabbat at his house. And I asked him, I said, you know, isn't it, isn't it weird? You know, we didn't like, what? And he's like, dude, you'll, he showed me the scripting. And he's like, one thing that sucks about scripting. Oh, he showed you how to do it. Okay. He showed me it. Yeah. And he said, one thing that sucks about it is that if you do it properly, you've already felt 
the real feelings of what it's like to sell. You've already felt the end of the story. So we say we believed in the end of the story. By the time we got to the end, we've already felt it. So he's like, the last four years we've been feeling it. Now that we're at the end, it's like a familiar feeling. And it's not that unique to us. And if you do it properly, it's not that unique. When you say properly, how, how do you do this properly? You really feel it authentically. Authentically. Like so you for, tell yourself to feel it? it I know I'm, I'm closing my eyes and, you know, like, you know, some people... They want a girlfriend. They want a wife. Okay. What does that mean? I want to, I don't know. I want her to be nice and, you know, have a good family. No. Like, what does she look like? What does she like? What's her activities? What type of person is she is? Like, get really detailed. I did that with Hannah. I was about to ask you. I didn't know <laughs> if it was too personal because I met Hannah. So you, yeah. you came here with Hannah the other day and yeah. and uh, the four of us hung out. And she's lovely. Yeah. As soon She has this energy about her. As soon as you pulled up in your car and she came out, she yeah. was just like this breath of fresh air. Yeah. Lo- lovely girl. Yeah. I was very, very specific in what, you know, I had a long relationship before I came out of it. And I said, you know, I got it. You know, I do, I do, I have, I have a therapist. And she, I was telling her, you know, I want a, I want a girlfriend. I don't like, you know, I don't like meeting random people. It grosses me out. I need like, a, you know, and she's like, well, you're not, you're going to, you got to know what you want. And I was like, what does that mean? She's like, exactly what you want. And I would envision it, you know, Hannah does this to a whole nother level than I do. She's like, you know, I wake up on a Sunday morning listening to a specific song like she, but you close your eyes and you really feel what it's like to get to the end of that story. And you know how many times I do this and I actually don't like the end and I realize that's actually not for me. And people don't do that. You think you want something, right? You know, you think you want a Lambo. You think you want this. You think you want to be an entrepreneur. Sometimes, you know, people, the idea of a bit, now it's really cool to be an entrepreneur. When I was, when you were doing it, it wasn't that, it was the, the guys who couldn't get jobs Correct. did the entrepreneur. It was the losers, yep. really. Now it's the cool kids because yeah, everyone's sure. got Lambos, right? So. Well, I wouldn't say everyone's. <laughs> but the, the, the six, well, actually, who knows? Some do. Well, some are rented. Some, especially yeah. well, here. here. Especially here, here, yeah. Where we grew up, it's like if you got a Lambo, you drive it, you know, a thousand kilometers a year max. Yeah. And so like really closing your eyes and like I did that actually with the Lambo. That was one of my goals when I was 21. And I would close my eyes. I'd say, okay. Did you end up buying a Lambo? Well, I'll tell you why not. I got to this. I'm doing this man, this scripting. I'm getting to my Lambo. I come and I, I press the button. The door opens. I sit down into it. You know, I touch the leather on the wheel. I flick the switch because you, know, you got to flick it on. Yeah. I press it. I feel the rumble. And I feel, oh, I kind of feel like this chair is kind of uncomfortable. Actually, I don't like the fact that I have to. I never even been in one it's by the time. It's super uncomfortable, yeah. I never been. And I was like, I got to like. I have to break my neck to like look out the window and I don't know if it's that, you know, maybe I don't want a Lambo. Maybe I like bigger cars. And then fast forward six years, my buddy gets one, brings it to my house. He's like, yo, you got to drive it. I'm like, hundred percent. I got to drive it. Of course I get into the Lambo and much to my surprise, my back starts hurting. It's really uncomfortable. And I started laughing. I go to him, you know, six years ago I did, I did a scripting and I envisioned that I would be uncomfortable in this car he's like, no way. And I'm like, that's why I knew it wasn't for me. So sometimes you have to really get deep into the feeling and you're like, oh, I want it. And when you get that want, it becomes a need. Yeah. Unstoppable you become. So I do this all the time. So tell me, okay, I, I have to dive into this. <laughs> tell me your scripting like schedule. How do you do this? <sighs> Usually in the morning, I will wake up, you know, I in Miami is great. You get to go outside. I make a coffee. I bring out my journal on one page. I'll write. You're writing it by hand. Yeah. Always by hand. Always. Yeah. I have, so I have this other is thing. There's something to writing it by hand that makes it special. It doesn't feel like work. I'm on my computer. It's one working. Yeah. And I, I just, 
you know, sometimes I write more, sometimes I write less and I keep them. So on one page, I'm actually just documenting the last day. Sometimes I write like three days worth. I'll be like, or sometimes I'll do a week. Hey, this is like what I did last week. And I do that for every year. So yeah. I have these books now of every year that like one day I'll have, you know, 50 books and you can, you know, I always say like my dad, for example, I would pay an unfathomable amount of money to go into a bookshelf right now and go my dad at 32 and just start reading about his days at like 32. But his days, the way that he scripted them, the way not that he actually happened. No. So I do both. So I have one where I journal what happened in like the last yesterday, like for example, today, when I, when I journal, whether it's tomorrow or the next day, I'll be like, you know, I went to Gary's house and yeah. a podcast that I like, I'll, I'll journal actually what's happening and then I'll script on the other page of what I want. So you, okay. So I'm just trying to understand. So you'll start your day by, by writing in your journal, what's going to happen today? No. What happened yesterday? What happened yesterday? And what, what really happened? What yesterday? actually happened? Just documenting. Yeah. Because sometimes we forget. Yeah. And then. You're talking short form, bullets. Sometimes, no, more storytelling. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like I had this conversation with so-and-so kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not really feeling good about it. Like, I don't know, like documenting really how I feel and what's going on. Almost like talking to myself. And then on the other page, I'm, I'm scripting in the future. The next day. No. I'm consistent the whole year in what I want. Very, very clean. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about a, like a year out. You're scripting on a daily basis, details yeah. of the following year. Either the following year, like it can really, it can, sometimes it's like just moments that I'm manifesting, right? So for example, like right now, yesterday, giving a good example. Yesterday I watched um, a friend of mine, you know, you might know him, Jesse Isler. He has this amazing story about, he, he loves time. And one thing he talks about was he was going to take his mom on a vacation and when he was younger, but he didn't have the money. He said, okay, when I have the money, I'll do it. And then 10 years goes by, he has the money, but he doesn't have the time. And then 10 years go by, he has the money, he has the time, but she's too old, she can't go. Mm. And he's just like, well, if I said it, if I said at any point in time, if I just said this year, I'm taking my mom on vacation, it would have happened. I just kept pushing it off because I feel like I have all this time. So for me, I'm really scripting right now. You know, my mom is from Morocco. She's never been, you know, I'm, I want to take her. She's never been back. She's never been back. She's never, like, you know, actually, she's never been. Her family's from Morocco. She was born in Israel. In Israel yeah. but she never went back to like her heritage. She's never done that, but she really wants to go. She talks about it all the time. Yeah. You know, and I can, I can do that for her. I can take her. So I'm scripting about, you know, not only taking her, but like the time we're going to have. Yeah. You know, oh, we're going to go and we're going to have, you know, incredible recipes and we're going to visit like these temples and I'm going to surprise her and bring her to like where her family grew up. And I'm really scripting the experience in detail. So that it'll happen. Wow. So I'm choosing moments, you know, you can choose, you can choose it for your kids. You know, most people don't think about, you know, moments in, in, in their kids' lives, you know, like a championship or a, a prize or a business or a graduation. You just expect it to happen. But like, how are you bringing that in? So I do that all the time with everything, right? Like this podcast, you know, you told me you're really starting to love doing it and you're getting really good at it, obviously. Right. And thank you for that compliment. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you prepared, you care. Like you be, I do a lot of these, you'd be surprised and, and you invest into it and it's in your home. And like, these are all, these are things that matter. And have you ever thought about what the end, not the end, cause that's a bad word, but what this podcast looks like in two years yeah, from now? I mean, yeah, I have, I have. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you think about it often. Yes and no. I, I mm -hmm. kind of, I decided with this, this is actually the first thing that I've 
done that I didn't really have a kind of a, a commercial plan for it where it's something I'm doing for more for my soul because I enjoy it. For the feeling. For, I, yeah, for the feeling. It's multiple things. It's for the feeling. It's to meet cool people, to dive, to learn from their stories, mm-hmm. to really um, give the benefit of their stories to the outside world, to the people who are going to consume this content now mm-hmm. and in the future because this, this lives forever, right? right, online. And honestly, for my kids to see the example right. of it. Yeah. So all of it comes back to many different ways to make you feel good. Yes. Right. So you've already envisioned, oh, my, my kids are going to see this for a long time. Wow, that makes me feel good. My, my guests are going to benefit from a long time. I get to help them too. That makes me feel good. I get to document my stuff. Those are all feelings that you've already, you already know what it feels like to have all those things. Right. You're saying I've already scripted you've, you've, it. You did it already. Got it. You just did it in your mind. Correct. Right. But I script down because I find there's a power in writing it. Amazing. And sometimes jot note, like people take this too far. They write like crazy. Sometimes just jot notes. Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes I'm just like, yeah, like this business, I just like invest is going to do this by this day. And this is like, and when it does this, I'm going to feel really proud. I'm going to be happy for those guys because I believe in them and I love them and I want them to win. And when they win, I win. But knowing that they win makes me feel that I can support people and reach their dreams. That feeling, you can't shake that feeling. Yeah. And then I'll go and I'll invest into it. But sometimes I'm like, I'll invest into it. I'm like, I don't really care for these people. I don't really care for the product. I don't really like their vision. I like the business, but like, there's no feeling. I'm out. Well, I mean, look, I think we can keep talking about this indefinitely, <laughs> but I want to, I want to, I want to move on to something else. And I want to ask you, tell me about what does kind of post close. Like, what does your life look like right now? I know that, you know, we had talked when you were here with Hannah and we were with Valeria, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about some of the things you're working on. W- yeah. What does life look like for you in terms of like, how is it, what's the Delta between kind of pre-sale and now in, in your life? Well, listen, life, anyone that, that tells you it's hundred percent the same, I mean, that's just a lie. I mean, life definitely changes after yeah. acquisition. 100%. I was super, super, super fortunate to, I mean, looking back, I know this now more than ever, to have a strategic person buy our business. Yes. Because we're in the same field. So there's so many synergies and I get to learn a lot. I was very informal in my business practices, doesn't, very messy. Doesn't, doesn't sound like it. <laughs> yeah. Like you very, sound like you were pretty damn organized. I'm now. On some of the, on yeah. the stuff that is your forte, on the marketing. Exactly, the things that I like, but I never cared for it's HR. like the back, back yeah, warehouse, uh, like how many. Like accounting, yeah. HR, yeah. accounts receivable, like, oh, that's because I stuff away from me, you know, like. I never, yeah. but that is very important still in Absolutely. a business, equally as important as yes. everything else. Yes, yes. I never valued that. Sure. Learning from a mega corporation publicly traded yeah. on how things are organized. You know, I love systems, but I only like systems and the things that I like. Sure. You have to build systems in every department. So I've learned a tremendous amount. And I feel like if we sold to like a PE firm or just like some family office, I never would have got that benefit. Yeah. They really had, you know, top tier executives come you would and have had teach. the benefit of the money. Yeah, just the right. money, right? And I got to learn a lot, which I really, really love. You know, the business is, we don't own a majority of it anymore, but it's kind of still our baby. Absolutely. You know, so. You own, I, I saw how much of it you own. Yeah. You sold 52%, right? We sold 52 and then every year they acquire 16, 16. So oh, okay. it's, it's almost. You know, we own a minority now, sure, a, sure. a very big minority. If you don't, yeah. if you don't mind me asking, if it's not yeah. proprietary or if it's right. not confidential, are they? Did you lock in the valuation on that on those additional sixteens, or are they, is the valuation going up as you scale? So it's if you're able to comment. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's publicly online. You can okay. see it. It's there's like a seven times essential multiple 
on every year's EBITDA. So yeah, if the EBITDA goes up, you can make more. Sure. So it's a good deal. We're incentivized to run and do a good job. You're incentivized on EBITDA rather than gross. Right. Got it. Uh, which, and is, then, which, is, which is a responsible way to do things. It is responsible, but it also, you know, could be difficult in times where, you know, if there's a, if there's a situation where sometimes the gross is more important than the EBITDA. Yeah, absolutely. It can be difficult. So you learn a lot of that. And I've like, you know, I've rebuilt teams. We've rebuilt offices. We did a pop-up in Yorkdale Mall. Like having people, like I've, I did, I was muscled everything. I wore all the hats, you know? Sure, I know. Um, yeah. Now we have a team. There's over 20 people. There's, so I learned Which is how, still a pretty small team considering your revenue. Yeah, it you is. It, well, 20 people are in the house and we have agency support. We have back, like we have, if you actually count the people working on the business, yeah. it's probably closer to 40. Yeah. But like in-house in the office sure, is sure. 20. Gotcha. And I've, I learned how to rely on people, how to properly delegate. I used to just delegate something I didn't want to do. Like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, you do it. If I don't want to do this. You do this. And yeah. it's like, no, delegation is like giving the right person the right task at the right time. Correct. And I never learned that. So yeah. very, very fortunate for that. But yeah, things have definitely, definitely changed. More opportunities come your yes. way. You know, I, I lived in a scarcity mindset for, you know, a big really? portion of I, my life. I'm surprised to hear you say that. I was unaware of it. You know, I was, I was, didn't want to spend money on anything. I was really, really tight. You know, someone even, yeah, someone called me cheap. I was scared that I would lose it all. You know, I watched it happen in real time. I watched things evaporate. I watched what it's like, you know, for my dad to get sick and not be able to pay the mortgage. I've seen it. It happens fast. It doesn't yeah, just yeah. happen slow. It happens yeah. very, very fast. Yeah. But I've learned to, to live in abundance and to allow money to flow through me and to accept, you know, big bills and take on big projects and go after bigger things. And that all happens post deal. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, I always, like I said earlier, when you get exposed, you know, when you meet someone who is doing numbers that you wouldn't believe a human can do and you talk to them and you're like, you're kind of normal. Yeah. You just thought bigger and it opens up a lot mentally. And that's why I always tell people just, just we change the environment. I got, I didn't, I have two friends. Really, like from my childhood still, because it's very rare that, you know, you, you people progress the same ways, very conscious of environment and post deal, the environment changes very quickly as well. What are you working on now? So I know you're still, I mean, yeah, so we're still, visit, yeah. we're still seeing hush through, which is really important for us because like for me, I always tell people, they're like, well, you're we're not going to have any equity. Who cares? The business. And I'm like, no, it would be really cool for me in like 10 years from now to like, walk down the street and be like, yeah, like, you know, that was ours, you know? So I really want to see that. I think it will do well. The business, the products that are coming out are just fantastic, but I love supporting and helping founders. Mm -hmm. And so for the last two years, I've been literally paying out of my own pocket to host dinners all over the country. I've done 17, 17 cities, 25 dinners in the last two years, over 1500 plus founders have come focus on e-commerce founders all kinds majority because that's the kind of what i attract yeah. but all kinds of founders and creators and just really cool entrepreneurs like the founders there were no executives come just the founders come yeah uh, it's a different type of individual who like you know risked it first and we've had billion dollar brands come hundred million dollar brands million dollar brands and so many every time people leave the dinner and it's it's by founders for founders like i'm a founder hosting this dinner and everyone's like, so what's the catch? You know what? You just spent like five grand on a dinner. Like, what's the catch? And there was never a catch until I was like, wait a second. 
there's nowhere for everyone to continue this amazing dinner. We do this dinner, everyone like loved it. A couple people exchange numbers and you go home and you're like, oh, that Aaron guy was nice. He threw a dinner for me. And by demand, I was like, you know, what if I created a community for you guys all just to like hang out with online? Yep. And then that's when we started the Founders Club, which is a community for founders doing anywhere from a million to a billion dollars in sales. Majority of the people are like e CPG product, yep. e-commerce, retail. But we got some SaaS partners. We have we have personal brands. We have like there's as long as the clients aren't the club. So if you're someone who's selling to founders, you're not allowed in the club because that's just weird. That's weird. But it's all but founders. Every, isn't everyone kind of selling to founders? Like <laughs> yes and no. Like not like directly. Like I mean, of course, you're talking like, to consumers. Yeah, like if you sell to consumers, it's great. And like by virtue, like if you're a founder, you're also consuming every day. So like right. you are, but. If you're selling like website design, every single person in the club needs website design. Right. So we wouldn't let you in the club. So you probably wouldn't let me in the club because I sell to founders because we sell marketing campaigns. Influencer no, marketing. I would let you in the club. But I sell to founders because so a founder in yeah. your so so to take you through that it, like a founder in 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 your in your organization right in this group if they have a an e-commerce brand, I mean Valeria has a wide range. She's right. likely able to represent them. So they might come to me and say, hey, can I do an influencer marketing campaign with Valeria? Yeah, that's totally fine because maybe let's say there's, you know, a thousand founders in the club. There's maybe a hundred that could actually do it with you, yeah. right? And that's totally fine. The difference in your, in your case is there's so much help that the brands can help you right? and that you can there's help a, them. There's an exchange. Yeah. So on that note, I know we yeah. talked at the beginning of the show and what you and yeah. I talked about at the beginning of the episode of how we can work together. Yeah. So I'm just going to bring it up. Okay, let's and do we it. Don't, we don't have to like do a deal right now, but I just want to bring it up. Wow, this would be great content. Wouldn't that be crazy? This would be like the, the launch video. This would be like, the, <laughs> we, we could pull a short clip out of, out of there. So we had, you know, and I, I'm, I'm kind of repeating the story to you, but for the benefit of the audience, yep. we started our clothing brand. Yep. And I foolishly said, I'm going to go into product, you know, while it's very hard. So I, I, I have a respect for your, yep. for you and for other founders who, who actually have a, uh, have a product. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to create this clothing brand because it makes a lot of sense because, you know, Valeria, one of her, one of her big pillars is fashion. It's very native to her. She was a fashion model for many years before she picked up a vlog camera and I said, I'm going to create it. And then when I, and I actually, I had three different leaders. I had like, I paid, I paid a recruiter um, $50,000 plus to get me, you know, to get wow. me the, the, the right person. And we went through three different leaders, like high, high level, almost kind of C-level executives, you know, to come in and to run it. We had a warehouse in Toronto. Wow. We did the whole thing. Wow. And we did it. We were doing a couple of million dollars a year in sales. I can't even tell you if it was profitable because I, you know, I'm sure <laughs> you know. It gets blended. Well, you, no, no, I actually, I actually set up a separate corporation wow. for it. So I, I still have a hard time understanding because anyways, that, that's a whole like complex discussion from a P&L perspective. But I understood that if we want to be able to concentrate on the media, what was happening, it was taking about 40% of Valeria's time because she had to meet with the designers, like the actual clothing designers, make sure everything was great. She would fly to Portugal Mm -hmm. to, you know, meet with the people who were doing the construction of the product. Then we moved our manufacturing to New York and then she would fly to New York and costs were soaring. And, and the, 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 the scariest part, not so much the scariest, but I think the, the nail in the coffin, the proverbial coffin 
was when we spent all of this time and energy, we had this amazing new designer out of, out of South America. We had this New York company who's doing all the manufacturing, top quality, everything. We researched the pricing. We did everything. We thought, this is it. We, we shot a campaign for the product in New York, and we had a set, and Valeria was the model, and everything was great <laughs> and fantastic. And you already know where the story's going. Yeah. And we had inventory, and we yeah. put out, and crickets. No one's buying. So then you're sitting, so you spent all this money to get to this point. You've iterated on the product. You've created the product. You're sitting on now inventory. You have your warehousing costs. You have your staff costs. And I was just looking at this saying, we can't continue to, we can't continue to be distracted from our core, you know, our core mission. And then when we, when we shuttered it proudly and Valeria did a post and it got like 5 million views of her owning her mistakes. And I'm like, it wasn't a mistake. We had to do this. Like, I don't right. regret it. We right. had to do it. And, you know, we did that and all of a sudden her audience metrics started soaring because her head was back in the game. She was creating content. We were all analyzing the content and doing all that. Brand, spark, brand partnerships soared more than made up for the, 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 the revenue. Right. So all of this context is for what you and I talked about is I said, I still want to have a product. I don't think I want fashion. I don't well, think it's just it's unnecessary. One, one, it's because it's it's really difficult. Right. That's one. Number, you know, two. I would say a large, a disproportionately large amount of our brand deals are with are, are with like legacy fashion brands who have right. been around, and so we don't want to cannibalize their business on our own platform. So the con- So what I had said to you is, I want a partner. We can come up like to come up with some kind of a product, and I want. I don't want to operate that. I want to be. I want Valeria to be the face. I want to create the content. I want to offer access to our audience, right. leverage our goodwill, leverage the relationships we have with creators totaling hundreds of millions of followers in aggregate. And I said, you know, Aaron, if we can, if you can find an operational partner who can mm-hmm. do all of that, you know, and then we can bring the benefit that we can bring, that's what I want to do. So that's th- that ball is in your court now. Let's do it. Okay, let's do yeah, it. Let's do <laughs> that's it. That's pretty easy. Yeah, do I you, mean, do you have some like? We, I mean, without getting into like which product category would be, but do you have an operator in mind? Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've built, I've built, I have teams, I have the right people. But one thing that people underestimate the most in all of it mm-hmm. is running the the back end is actually. I mean, to me, it's easy, but for you know, if you've never done it before, it's, it's hard. The back so end of a, of a product company. Yeah, like there's there's. Again, it comes back to the, the whole funnel. There's like the website, there's the product, there's the distribution, there's all of those things. There's making sure you're getting the best deals because that affects your margin. All that stuff can go out the window very, very quickly. Yes. The right pricing of the product, like everything, the stickiness, there's, you know, retention, there's communication, there's all those things that are important, which can be set up. And in my mind, it's easy, a lot for the average individual. Yeah. The one thing that anyone can come up with, and it's, it's the most difficult in my mind, it's not the product because we can come up with a million ideas. Yes. It's a, an amazing product. Mm-hmm. That's that is the delta in all situations. The delta is an amazing product, and people often leave that out. Right? They think, oh, I can take a pillow or a sheet, brand it, You're make good storytelling. Right. You know. All the stuff I told you about the targeting and the marketing and the storytelling and the haves and the billboards, yeah. all that stuff's important. Mm-hmm. But if the sheet didn't keep you cold like we said it would, yep. it's done. Absolutely. Right? So, and people like spend two minutes on product and, you know, 58 minutes of every hour on everything else. But so like basically what I'm saying is 
we get the product, it'll be like, it's, I don't want to say a lock. It's you a lock if we you, get the product. You, right. So the right product. You're, you're saying it, it's the combination of the personal brand that Valeria is and mm -hmm. her access and all of the benefits, the goodwill, the access to the audience, yeah. the, her ability to create content, my production team, all of that with absolutely the, you know, ab, you know, the correct the product. Game changing. Right. There's a million skincare brands. There's, there's a million green powders. You know that? Like matcha? Matcha, greens this, greens plus, bloom green. But AG1. It's funny. I Why? Was actually, it's an amazing product. It's an amazing. It is an amazing product. Right. I was out yesterday with one of their early investors. Yeah. And he brought me. I don't know if you saw my stories. He brought me like a oh, huge bunch of them? bag. Have you tried it? Uh, oh, I've had it before. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It, it 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 is a great product, and we've we've actually spoken with them before. They're, yeah. It, it, no, look, they're great. But yeah, you're right. And I think, from what you're saying, it's not even so much the product category that's important, it can be or any the category. actual product itself. It's once you've committed to that category, it's making sure that the product is best in class. It's got to be, the product's got to be worth the money and it's got to be everything you say it is and more. And more. Because, and it enhances actually the marketing when yes. the product is so good. Because, yo, I, I seen that everywhere. Oh, I, then the one person in the room, oh, I got it. Dude, it's amazing. Don, you just sold the whole room. You're, you're basically filling a hole. Like you're filling... Mm -hmm. It's it's the hole at the bottom. Like if you have a cup and you keep filling it with all of this value, right? Goodwill right. and marketing and branding and all this stuff that we've talked about today, but you've got a hole in the bottom of that cup, which is a shit product, and the waters just keeps pouring yeah. out, pouring out. You have to fill that hole by having the good product that's going to retain that customer. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll agree. I'm fairly confident you'll agree that the best, probably the best marketing you can do, and the best branding and, and goodwill that you can create is by having that amazing product. That once you've gone to the expense of getting someone to buy it for yep. that person to become an advocate by number one, buying it again for themselves or their, you know, their, their family members or their loved ones as gifts, but telling their friends, Hey, this is a dope product. It's like, it's classic startup, like, you know, whatever Silicon Valley product market fit, what everyone wants. That's the one thing everybody wants is product market fit. And in your case or in our case here, it's like, we know we can scale it to the moon and we know we can drive, we can pour the water on the towel. We know we can try top of funnel. We know yeah. all that is great. Yeah. You just attach product market fit and it's unlimited potential. And quality product. And quality product, yeah. right? So that to me is like the most important thing. Like just bar, I mean. You're absolutely right. It's just, it's same thing with the juices. It's yeah, it yeah, everything yeah. we've done. It's like we knew that we had the best quality product because no one was doing like the way we were doing. We knew it was, it was a fact. And then everyone feels that it becomes like the energy that it's like when creators and you're, you would know this post stuff for free that they buy. Why? Cause they love the product because the product's amazing. That's how powerful a product is. They're not is. posting stuff for free. Sorry. So let me, yeah. Oh, wanna, tell me, I, am I wrong? No, no, no. I think, I think it's a semantic debate. I think it's the terminology that I don't agree with. Okay. When I post something for free, Okay, as yeah. a creator, because I'm also like a little mini creator. I'm no Valeria, but right? Yeah, you know, but when Valeria is posting something, well, post something that you bought, that like, you paid like full price for. Uh, even if somebody gave it to us, so okay. a lot of the times, what happens is we have. If I showed you like that, this is like a good day. Usually, this place is like a shipping and receiving, whether it's our <laughs> yeah, home or Valeria's studio <laughs> yeah. or anywhere where people can get products. It's in their hands. It's yeah, it's 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 crazy. But what I'm saying is, is that regardless of whether using Valeria as an example, whether she buys it or whether we get it for free. It, it, we're at such a, we have such a high volume of just constant product mm. going through our home that we don't even, we don't even know anymore if we got it for free or if we paid for it. We really don't know anymore. Mm. But here's the thing. If we get the product in, 
and we actually like the product, we're not posting it because we're posting it for free. We're posting it because it's like an editorial. It's part of our content. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's part but of our because the product is because I like, like it. it. It's amazing because I like it. So I will. So when when the gentleman, his name is Chris, I went out with him yesterday for breakfast, and he gave me all this AG1, and I'm like, why are you bringing this AG1? He goes, I'm actually an early investor in AG1. I said, oh, okay, great. And he's like, so I wanted you to have this, which is, I mean, a great thing. I mean, he's, he's, I'm, I'm guessing he's a minority shareholder. Maybe right. not. I don't know. But the fact that like he's coming to me, and he knows my connection, like my own audience, right. lawyer's audience, I thought that was really cool that he gave it to me. But I'm going to post it not because he gave it to me. I'm going to post about it because I actually like the product. Because exactly. I've had it before, and I like the product. So... It's not posting, so just to kind of bring it full circle and clean up what I'm trying to tell you on the terminology side, it's not about posting for free. It, it's, edit, it's actual editorial. It's real mm. content. It's real. It's authentic. It's authentic. Like yeah. I, have this, <laughs> I have this pool robot. If anybody who follows me knows yeah. it. It's like I'm the, it's the, it was the proudest moment of my life when I figured out. I did a search on Amazon, like pool, like robot automated pool skimmer because I was having a hell of a time every day going out and cleaning the top of my pool because we have a lot of foliage here in the property. And I got this thing and I've been posting about them and tagging them because I just, it's it's, it's the coolest thing that I, that I have this. And same thing with my cold plunge and our sauna. Like it's, it's the same thing. So all of the stuff that I really love, I post, so it's content. And now when product companies send us their product, they actually have a hope that we'll post about it, but they don't have an expectation. So this thing, this this concept of like, so we used to get a lot less, a lot more before, a lot less now, we'll have companies contact us and say, hey, like, we want to send you this product in exchange for you posting. Those mm-hmm. I just delete immediately. Right. Because if you have, a, if you you want to give me your product. Right, that's like, transactional. That's, yeah, like, uh, I don't, like, respectfully, my time is worth more than right. whatever the value of your product is. However, if you're saying, hey, we love our product. We hope you love it too. We want to send it to you. Yeah. And if you love it and you post about it, great. If not, cool. Like, right. we just appreciate you accepting it. Those people, I'll have much more of an open mind and an open heart when I'm looking at their product because of the way they approached me. And I'll be teaching stuff like that in the academy. Yeah, Yeah. so that's, that's, that's the gold right there yeah. is how to approach and that's why it would be a good you would be a good fit for the Founders Club because brands don't understand what you just said. Yeah. Like no, I just learned. Right. I was like, you know what? Like there's so many times where our team is like, hey, just give us your address. And sometimes like, hey, give us your address and do this. And it's interesting that like no on our end, we're never like there's no quantitative assessment of like You're right. You shipped me this stuff mm-hmm. and not for the purpose of, hey, Gary, put this in your content. You're yeah. like, hey, you're my friend. I want you to have my product. Exactly. Right. But right. like I, your product, I'm, your product is here. Right. So it's when it's organic and when a creator, again, I'm a very mini creator like right. in terms of my audience size, but Valeria is like a, she's a big creator. Right. It just, it's a lot, it's a lot better. So yeah, those are the type of things. Those that are I things think, that are really important. Well, I think founders should know that. I think they have to look at the data a little different. They have to look at it. And I actually sometimes advise brands. Uh, I, honestly, I do it for free because when they contact me and mm-hmm. say how much, I'm like, just, I'll, I'll spend an hour with you. On that. Yeah. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, and maybe I should start charging for it. I don't know. But um, when a brand, when I tell them, guys, it's going to sound counterintuitive to you, but whatever your product is, identify, let's say, 100 influencers. So you have like statistically significant, a statistically significant data set and send it out to 100 with just like this super organic, hey, I just saw that you moved or I saw you just had a kid or this. So we're just sending you this. Just We're just sending you this. Don't even say it would be nice if you posted. Say nothing and then do an analysis afterwards. How many of them posted? Mm. and see what kind of media exposure you have. You will find 
that if you actually have a good product and you approach it organically and you're just like cool about it and you're not a, like kind of a jerk about it. Right. Like saying like if you, you know, do this yeah. in exchange for posting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the last thing any of us want to hear. You will find that you'll have such a like a, a, a solid funnel created there. And if wow. You, you know, so that that's definitely something. Like I, product seeding, essentially. You just seed product, it out. It's product seeding. But it's funny because a lot of these brands will hire agencies to do the seating, mm. but these agencies approach us, and I already I already see them from a mile away. We, <laughs> you're so lucky. We're yeah. giving you, oh, but I they'll still that. do it with Congratulations. Valeria. Congratulations, you've been selected. Congratulations, <laughs> you get this thing that cost them twenty dollars to make, <laughs> and we want you to give us fifty thousand dollars worth of marketing yeah. in yeah. exchange. You yeah. Know? And so and by this date, so yeah. By, by this date, yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is they'll still do it with Valeria, where it's like serious guys like wow you're so you know what i've done you know what i've done in the past i've contacted the brand and i said hey can i get a minute with like the ceo or the founder and they'd be like yeah Yeah. they'd say yes and i'd say i just want you to know that (laughs) just just so you know i appreciate what you're doing i understand your kind of the business case for what you're doing but if you continue doing this you're not going to get taken seriously by creators if creators don't matter to you then you should right. continue doing this. That's but if really you want, if you want to have like a good name among creators, don't do this because it just makes you look like you just you don't. It's it's not it's not a good look. And that's they have so always true. appreciated that it's conversation. So true. Wow, that's gold, Aaron. I feel like we could talk for hours. I think we have talked for hours. <laughs> we, this is a lot of fun. I might I might nag you for a part two. We'll I'm looking forward. That. We're going to dinner with a girl soon. I'm yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be fun. I want you to know that you when you. With you, I took you straight to my third stage of torture when you came to this house with yeah. the cold plunge. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I took you straight to the third stage. Yeah. I have three stages. I have one with yeah. just how, however, ha- as cold as the cold plunge can get without any ice in it. Oh, you made it colder. Then I took the bricks. Yeah. I made those, I have those casts, those molds, and yeah. I made the bricks from the freezer that's out there. Then the third stage of cold is I ordered from Uber Eats, I ordered bags of ice. <laughs> Because you're a young, fit guy, yeah. I took you straight to stage three. It's the best stage. I think so. It was great, actually. I, the sauna's great. If, this is the setup. I mean, it's the same setup I have at home. This is like, you know, I feel like any high performer's dream. It's life-changing. Yeah, to have a setup where you can be in the cold, in the hot, consistently. It's, there's nothing like it. I do it every day. Yeah, it's made really such nothing a like it. profound difference to my life. It's unlimited energy. I feel like you get more cut. I'm more Absolutely. fueled. I'm sharper. I actually drink a lot less caffeine now. I don't know if Me you've too. noticed that. Yeah. Me too. I started going. I went down to one cup a day. I was like a three, four Me sometimes. Too. Me too. I'm like one and some days I forget. Yes. I'm like yes. one and some days I forget. And that's solely because of, of the cold plunge on a combination. Yeah. And at night, like I do it, sometimes I'll do it twice in a day. Yeah, me too. It forces me to hydrate better. Yeah. So now I'm like more hydrated than ever before. Dude, I don't so, understand how people didn't know about this until recently. I feel like I feel like everyone, first of all, cold plunges are just completely inaccessible, you know. So now they're more accessible. Well, uh, they're not super accessible because they're still, still very expensive, like right? Still, unit. yeah. And then they're like, if you're your living, brother has a cold plunge company, yeah. So my, my brother has Culture, which is I would say is like more affordable because they have like this like the blow up version of it. Yeah. They are launching like the hard top, which yeah, is like yeah. the luxe one. There's some online which like so create. Is this your younger brother? Yeah, he's Good 24. Yeah, he's they're, they're doing a fantastic you job. Helping him out. Yeah, you advising him. Yeah, Good but he's doing. Uh, they're really crushing it. Honestly, I mean, one of the biggest things that they spend all their time on. They were in overseas for like months. Mm-hmm. Uh, was ensure, like ensuring temperature control because it's the biggest issue amongst 
all called control tabs. or like so for me the ability with my mind's made by a company called renew yeah i can't get it cold enough but yeah, it's so also because i'm in miami it's, it's, it's not outside it's not because of that you so it's the chiller so the biggest issue amongst every single cold tub and, and by the way my brother's company had the same issue early days and they made they made a pivot to stop and figure it out but because it's a really up-and-coming trend mm-hmm. people are just selling and the biggest issue is what all these companies have really done if they've taken a air conditioner essentially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and ran piping through it yeah. to chill the water. So it's, it's a makeshift chiller. Yeah. It's not like the hot tub industry where they've had water heaters for decades. It's, this is a new technology. And the colder you go, the more issues arise. And the next issue was that this is not a hot tub. Hot tub, much like your pool, you zap it. You're zapping it. We have a chemicals. You have, yeah, you have a company that probably comes and yes. maintains your pool. They're constantly zapping it. They're testing it. They're zapping it, and with, with a much simpler filtration process. And you don't have a refrigerator in your in your yeah, top, yeah, yeah. in your pool, so you can't chemically induce your water the same way you do your hot tub or your pool because it'll break the chiller. But you need to maintain healthy, clean water mm-hmm. because it can be very dangerous. Many people have actually gotten like sick from it. It's very, very dangerous. And you want to keep it cold. So both of those things are in contrast to each other. So they kind of just figured it out in the last year. They've redesigned their entire, their own chiller. It's a custom wow. chiller that keeps it clean and cold. And it's the only cold tub now with a skimmer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, an, what do you mean? Like, how does it work? Like it skims the top. So oh, ha- there's a filter at the top that pulls the water through. So most maybe. have a jet that pulls, sucks from the bottom and I shoots from that. the top. Yeah, yeah, so it's very common, yeah. but it's not a proper skimmer, right? So you, you, oh, I've seen it. You have that thing that's, you, a, you skim I, the top. I, I skim it manually, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So all those things are very important because these tubes in your chiller, and like I, I would bet life savings, yours, anyone's, not, that's not a knock on your, anyone's. Yeah. You cut that tube. Well, you wouldn't be able to cut it with scissors, but you saw that tube in half and you will have a calcium and dirt buildup in it. You're Probably right. Right. And that, and then, so over time, again, this is a new industry. So like now everyone's chillers, everything, everyone's is working. But over time, in two or three years, that, that buildup will get bigger and bigger and the chilling function will cause, it's much like when you have a filter block in your home, it'll cause the chiller to work harder and get p- more poor and poor results. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. This one in particular also comes with, some, they call it a mineral stick. It's like this plastic cylinder. Yeah. And it's got like vent, like it's, it's got perforations in it. And yeah, stuff, and so. that creates like an, like an, an ozonate, like it creates it's an ozonator they're basically. Saying, they're saying the ozonator is inside the chiller. There's an oz. I don't know. Yeah, so it adds. So those are all like re- those are good, but at the at, at really at the end of the day, and I don't think anyone culture is like really starting to come out with it, but not fully solved yet. Is to add a specific amount of chemicals, the right chemicals, because it can't be the same. Not, you can't put bromine in your, it'll break your chiller in 10 minutes yeah. if you put bromine in, right? It'll just clog up the pores. Is to introduce chemicals to your tub safely that doesn't affect your chiller. And, you know, Culture came out with like a salt formula mm-hmm. that's working so far, but I really think like over the next two or three years, they're really going to solve chillers. If you live in a cold climate, you know, you just get one of those water things. Yeah, it's a metal uh, tub. Yeah, it's just a metal thing. Yeah, that's but easy. Still in the summer, you need a chiller. You, you really do. Yeah. Well, I need a chiller all year round here. You, yeah, you need a chiller all year round. You add the ice, which is great. Yeah. You like also you're in it every day. Every day. So you're filtering the water. Like I try I, to replace the water every week. Yeah, so that's good. You want to replace it every week. Most people are not in it every day, and most people don't replace the water. Yeah. 
So a lot like this is like a, I always say like this industry is going to go through like a revolution because eventually yeah. there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that breaks and there's going to be the ones that emerge much like the hot tub industry did. Mm -hmm. Like now there's like a few set brands that you buy your hot tub from because you know they'll last in Canadian sure. winters and whatever. It just doesn't seem that complex that you make water cold. I mean, we've had oh, a and that's, that's what we all thought. Right, but it, it actually is. It's super, it's super, super, super complex. And then there's like, we haven't even introduced energy efficiency. Like you, I don't even know if you've paid attention to how much more you're paying in your electricity bill because of your tub. I haven't, I haven't. You haven't? No. It, depending on where you live, well, it's have, pretty significant. I have a sauna too, so I can't even, yeah. Yeah, so then yours is like blended. But yeah. everyone knows what their hot tub is, right? It's like 200 bucks a month for your hot tub. Yeah, Everyone, sure. Everyone's got used to that one. Yeah. But there's an efficiency standpoint, right? So like, is your chiller working 24-7? Is it only working after I certain temperatures? I love how passionate you are about product. You are just <laughs> yeah, so I love. That's, th this is why I'm, I'm patiently waiting <laughs> for you to say, Gary, this is the product that I think you're going to, Look at, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to have some demographic questions about Valeria's audience. And then you're going to be like, this is the team. This is the product. Yeah. Let's get, let's get this the done. The team, like, like, again, the team that like will run my stuff is running cultures, running any of the other stuff. The team, the, the fundamentals of marketing are the same. Yeah. Again, it's all about product. Cause if you Google now, like cold plunges, you're going to get 40 of them. How yeah. do you know which one to buy? It's so hard. And they're 5k. Uh, it's reviews. It's hard. You read reviews. Most of them are fake anyways. We can pay for them. 10 for, for the hard one, which is yeah. yours. Yeah. Five for the blow up, you know, 500 bucks for the cheap one on Amazon that you have to like break ice cubes in, uh, more <laughs> without yeah. actually a chiller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all those things are, are really difficult, but over time you win with an amazing product. Absolutely. Un undeniable. It's almost like it's almost like, you know, when you go, like, oh, I played hockey for 20 years. When you have the best team, yeah, you're just like statistically over time going to win a championship. Absolutely. Like in basketball, you knew if you had like LeBron and his two best friends. Well, that's, like, why, that's why these sports teams invest in the top players, right? Because yeah. they want to win. Aaron, thank you, man. This, this really meant a lot to me. Honestly, I have to say this. I keep, it's funny because at, I think at, at most episodes, I think this is the best episode. This has been my favorite episode. In most episodes, but then there's another episode that becomes a favorite <laughs> episode. This is by this is my this is my favorite episode. I've had such a good time with wow, you. Thank you. I think this is probably my longest episode, and that's a very positive thing because it's amazing. You know, to to be so engaged and to have so many kind of common interests to talk about from the business side to you know your family story, which I, I you know is is very fascinating, and I and I feel that there's a lot of overlap, not on us like getting together and creating an amazing business together, yeah. but on the hardships, the immigration yep. and everything. And I remember your mom and she was always, she was always so yep. sweet. I think she was nice to me because I, I, she knew I had an Israeli wife and she was, I mean, I'm sure she's nice to everyone, but I think she, and yeah, she, years ago, she, well, I think she was, I mean, she's, she's like really nice to everybody, but I think she, I don't remember what it was, but I, I, cause I, when we were here in the backyard, Blair was like, you know, I miss your mom. Make sure you tell her I say hi. And I told yeah. my mom yeah. and she like remembered everything. She's like, Gary used to come in. You got a specific oh, smoothie. Wow. Okay. She remembered you had a black Porsche, but you would drive that's, it in the winter. She was like dead so on. She, so she remembers everyone for everything, oh, wow. you know? So she's wow. very, um, she's super attuned and like she pays attention. She probably asked you a million questions. You probably don't even remember answering them. And she remembered it all. You know, so that was another thing. Like back to like the customers, like she really got to know. There's, you know, there's a, there's a saying: the apple doesn't fall far from the from the tree. Yeah, I know. She's dialed. Well, that was yeah. a compliment to you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, I really thank appreciate this, appreciate and it. I look forward to our dinner coming up. Me too. Thanks, guys. Awesome.